0: To the spoken the spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. Spoken
1: podcast. I am your host, Lance Twidwell. Here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell What's good? and Trevor Twidwell because our guy Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo Eddie Ortiz is out of commission this week. He's actually enjoying himself a nice little vacation. We wish him nothing but the best. I know that it seems like every couple of weeks our guy Eddie Ortiz is missing, but you know what? We hold the Ford down here because this show continues no matter who's out, no matter who's on the shelf, no matter who's on the disabled list, the IL as the MLB likes to call it now. We keep this bad boy rolling because 163 is in full swing full motion. We are so happy for you to be here with us and for us to be here with you. Whether you're live streaming, whether you are YouTubing, whether you're podcasting, we want to thank you so much for making some time and allowing us to take some of your time because we got a lot to talk about. There's a lot of things going on in the world of sports and I think that you guys understand that all too well because the the news cycle never ends. There's always something to talk about. There's always something to discuss and that is why we have a show each and every week. I don't really understand sometimes not to get on a high horse here when it comes to our show, but I take a lot of pride in how we do things here at The Spoken Podcast because if you follow us on our Facebook page or our Twitter page, you see that there is constant sports news being discussed. And I don't know how some of these shows don't have enough to talk about or don't have things to talk about because I feel there's always something to discuss. Well, we got a lot to discuss when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs, which is why we have not a guest but a brother of the show and a personal brother of mine, blood doesn't make us any closer than what we are. Our guy, the OG Chiefs fan, the guy that I love dearly, respect very dearly, and his opinions are always on point, and he can go into a trance, let me tell you. If you've not... Followed Shaggy Shane's work. You've not listened to Shaggy Shane talk yet. You about to. It's going to happen in less than an hour's time from now. Our guy Shaggy Shane Williams from the Shaggy Shane Show will be joining us and we will be discussing a lot of controversial topics, as you would imagine, because when it comes to our show, when it comes to Shaggy Shane's, when it comes to anybody that we... I wouldn't say that we have an inner circle, but the people that we associate with, whenever we have discussions like this, it's always going to be honest, it's always going to be true, it's going to be raw, and you're going to hear the true, genuine opinion of what what we are and what we're about when it comes to Chiefs football, when it comes to any sports related topic, because no one holds us down, am I right, Trevor? We're not affiliated to anything, and we we do what we do, we say what we say, and we mean what we mean, and that's actually where I'm going to start right now, because if you guys remember, I uh, I had a very honest and, and, and upfront opinion outwardly <laughs> on social media when it came to the Chiefs trading Tyreek Hill and I'm not going to go through all that again I'm just going to give you guys a, a brief synopsis I was very upset distraught about that trade because I didn't really understand how that's going to help the Chiefs win another Super Bowl in the now maybe it'll help them later but in the now that didn't make a lot of sense then we found out that Tyreek wanted to be closer to home. We knew that he wanted to make record-breaking money. And that's all that needed to be said at that point. That's all that needed to be discussed because that's all that really mattered. He didn't want to be here in Kansas City anymore. He wanted to be closer to family, and I can't blame a man for doing that. And I called out Brett Veach for that. I, before I knew that that actual uh, part of the very important part of this portion of the story, I called out Brett Veach. I said this was the stupidest decision in the history of Chiefs football. And I meant that. But then when context came into play, we realized that there was more to it. And I can't blame Brett Veach for making a decision I felt that was the only decision to be made because the the, the decision was going to be made for him regardless. And so what I decided to do this week is I decided to create a thread, and I took a, a, a good amount of my day a couple days ago to, to really dive deep into Brent Veach's draft history. And the reason why that's so important is because the only thing the Chiefs got back in the Tyreek Hill trade was draft picks, and the Chiefs currently sit at 12 total draft picks. Now, I believe four of those picks are 7th round picks, which are usually just used for ammunition to trade up or trade for a player. It's just to sweeten the deal a little bit. We never really see the Chiefs take guys in the 7th round. I think the last guy they took in the 7th round was Nick Allegretti a couple years ago. And that ended up actually being a pretty good pick, and I'm going to get to that in just a second, but the most important part I want to, the most important thing I want to say in all this is, I do think it's time that we give, give Brett Veach some real credit when it comes to his draft history. Because I know that the foregone conclusion early on was was that he couldn't draft properly or he was swinging and missing, which is why he had to go and trade for guys like Frank Clark and make up for some of the decisions he has made. Because Breland Speaks was his first pick and Breland Speaks was essentially not a football player. I think he only played a couple games, if that, and that was the end of his NFL career. And that was the first one. So I know that first impressions matter a lot, which is why this was you know, naturally, such big shoes for Brett Veach to fill because he was coming into a position of replacing John Dorsey, who, albeit, had his own problems when it came to contractual issues, which has actually been Brett Veach's bread butter. But John Dorsey knew talent, and the man could draft talent. He understood talent. Bear in mind, he also was the guy that. Uh, Took Baker Mayfield with the number one overall pick and that so far has not panned out but nevertheless nevertheless John Dorsey does talent and he's been able to build and construct good rosters around quarterbacks with the Chiefs and with the Browns and he was a really good consultant and a really good talent evaluator even all the way back in his Packer days. But Brett Veach had big shoes to fill. And I think that he's done a better job than we're giving him credit for. And I want to go down a little path real quick, if you guys will allow me, because I did post this on my Twitter page. I did post this on the Spoken Facebook page. But I I do want to break you this down a little bit right right on here for those that did not see it, because I think it is important that we do give this man proper credit going into this next draft and why we should be confident that he's going to find some talent in this next draft. So according to Pro Football References draft value metric, this goes back to 2017. I found this online because I really... wanted to break this down based upon metrics because I know that's a big thing. People focus, you know, uh, follow pro football focus. People are very much into analytics now, and I think that's fair. I think that's something that we need to look at and evaluate when it comes to adding young talent to this team. Over 16% of draft picks never play for the team that they that drafted them. 37% are considered busts. 15% are considered low value or poor picks, and over 10% are considered average. 12% are considered good, and only less than 7% are considered great. The Chiefs have made 24 draft selections since Brett Veach took over the GM role in 2018. The 2018 class was by far Brett Veach's worst to date, but even as underwhelming as it was, 4 of the 6 players drafted played in at least 49 of the 65 possible regular season games from 2018 to 2021 and two of them Derek Naughty and Dorian O'Daniel are still contributors on the Chiefs roster to this to this day. Both Naughty and DOD were both were uh, third round picks. And Armani Watts, although exclusively a special teams player, was active in 53 of the 65 games played from 2018 to 21, 21, and had 58 tackles, 3 tackles for loss, 2 sacks, and 3 quarterback hits as a special teams player. And, our, and as we all know, Armani Watts is no longer with the, roster, with the Chiefs now after this offseason. In 2019, the class wasn't great, but much better than 2018 despite have not having a first-round pick because they traded Seattle for Frank Clark. Brett Veach managed to land three starters, which was McCole Hardman, Juan Thornhill, and Rashad Fenton. And one French starter, and Nick Allegretti, as I mentioned before, in the seventh round. Five of the six players from that class are still on the Chiefs roster. Hardman and Thornhill were second-round picks, Fenton was a sixth-round pick, and again, Allegretti was a seventh. 2020's class gave Veach his first, and only to date, first-round pick, and it was Clyde Edwards-Helaire. How good bad that decision was remains to be seen, but landing two stud defensive starters in Willie Gay Jr. and Legereus, as I like to call him Lord Jarius Sneed, in the second and fourth round picks make up for that if in fact CEH doesn't pan out the way we expect them to as a first round pick. Not to mention the fact that Veach also added potential starter depth at right tackle in Lucas Niang in the third round and at defensive end in Mike Dana in the fifth. Both have been effective contributors when healthy and or given the opportunity to be effective contributors. 2021's class is by far Veach's best. Not only did Veach land three starters, he landed three prolific starters. Creed Humphrey is already the best center in football outside of Jason Kelsey, who's going to be 38 years old this season. Nick Bolton led all rookies and tackles, and Trey, Trey Pancake Papa Smith is a top-tier right guard in this league already. And the best part is, none of them were first-round picks. Fifth-round pick Noah Gray showed promise at tight end behind and beside veterans Travis Kelsey and Blake Bell, and Joshua Kando was kept on the team despite being a fourth-round pick that played very little. So out of six picks, only one, Cornell Powell, Looks to be a bust, and he was a fifth rounder. Those are flyer picks. Here are the star starting players Brett Veach has drafted and what and what round they were drafted in. Creed Humphrey, second round. Nick Bolton, second round. Trey Papa, Pancake Papa Smith, sixth round. Lord Jarius Sneed, fourth round. Willie Gay Jr., second round. McCall Hardman, second round. Juan Thornhill, second round. Rashad Fenton, sixth round. Here are average backup players Brett Veach Veach has drafted and what round they were drafted in. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, first round. Mike Dana, fifth round. Derek Nottie, third round. Nick Allegretti, seventh round. Lucas Niang, third round. Noah Gray, fifth round. DOD, third round. Armani Watts, fourth round. Colin Saunders, third round. To be determined or bad players Brett Veach has drafted and what round they were drafted in, Joshua Kandel was in the fourth, Cornell Powell was in the fifth, Thakarius Keys seventh, Darwin Thompson, sixth, Breland Speaks, second, Tremont Smith, sixth, and Khalil McKenzie, sixth. In other words, Brett Veach has drafted star players or starting players or what they called good or great according to the metric with 33% of Of his draft picks with role players and backups or average poor players within the metric 38 percent and the to be determined or bad picks are only 29 percent of the eight star starting players zero of them were drafted in the first round five of them were drafted in the second round one in the fourth and two in the sixth of the nine average or backup players one was drafted in the first, four were in the third round, one in the fourth, two in the fifth, and one in the seventh. Of the two, be determined bad players, zero were drafted in the first, which means he's not had a true bust yet. One was in the second, one was in the fourth, one was in the fifth, three in the sixth, and one in the seventh. of 24 picks being let's see or bad players isn't bad, especially when you consider the overwhelming majority of said picks were drafted in the fourth round or later. To me, the fact that over a third of Veach's draft picks have become star players along with the fact that another third uh, of those picks have been solid average contributors gives me much more confidence that he can identify NFL talent in this draft. Only four drafts in, the Chiefs have eight sure things. That's two, two star or starting players per draft. That is significantly better than the average draft class league wide, considering the metric this entire threat is based upon. Even if Veach trades multiple picks in the 2022 draft, even if Veach misses on multiple draft picks in the 2022 draft, the fact that he has 12 picks to work with and the percentage tells me that the Chiefs will get at least two stars in this draft excites me greatly. And although he has a ton of work to do, and we're going to talk plenty about it when it comes to retooling this defense alone... I think it's time that we give Brett Veach all the credit and respect he deserves as the Chiefs GM and anticipate a very good upcoming draft class and draft classes for years to come. So this is where I want to really dive deep into all this because as you guys see, I took the time to get these numbers down. I wanted to see the truth, the bare truth of Brett Veach's history so far. Only four drafts in has gotten the Chiefs eight star slash starting players in this in, in, in on this roster. He has nine starters on this team already. Think about that. Will Clyde Edwards-Hilaire end up becoming something special? I don't know. They wouldn't sign Ronald Jones. They're probably going to probably get some guy later in the draft if they hold on to some of these picks. Maybe another running back later in the draft. But the fact is, that that's the worst of the early picks in his draft classes, I think he's done a lot better than most people suggest, especially when you say that less than 7% of picks in the draft are considered great and over 16 percent of players never even play for the team drafted i think Brett beach has done a pretty good good job trevor what are your thoughts
2: yeah i mean i i don't even know why we're at this point we're we're doubting the man he hasn't given us too much room to doubt um too much reasons to doubt in my mind um he he's drafted guys you know just last season last last draft might have been his best draft yet you know, I think we got three starters out of that draft. You know, and completely got two guys that helped rebuild this entire offensive line uh, to being one of the best in the league. And I look forward to it being even better next year and then this seasons coming uh, ahead of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't listen. Everyone has everyone. Ha, everyone's tense right now. Everyone's because there's so much unknown, right? Um, <clears throat> when you lose a talent like Tyreek Hill. Um, it's gonna put everyone into a frenzy, you know. You know, losing a town like that in the prime of his career is is something that, you know, some people can pull the trigger on that kind of move. Some people can't, um, you know. And, and we don't know if that was the right move yet. You know, and that we don't know if that's gonna pan out for us. That could be the beginning of the end. You know, I'm not trying to like be a doomer right now, but that could definitely be an outcome here. But I tend to think the other way. I think I think you know I think we got the leverage on that move. Um, I think Patrick Mahomes is a, is a transit talent. I think Andy Reid is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Those two things are, are in place. You know, so building around that that tends to make things – look at all these teams struggling trying to find the next Patrick Mahomes, trying to overpay for Deshaun Watson and, 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 you know, his uncertainties. And all these things that are going on, you know, overpaying for Aaron Rodgers at this point in his career, if I'm being honest. Yeah. All these things that are going on in the, in, the, in the NFL, yet here the Chiefs are with the best quarterback and the best head coach in the NFL right now. Um, and we have 12 draft picks and we're fearing things and we're worried as fans. I get it, man. I get it, but it's irrational. It really is an irrational thing if you stop and think about it because – we have we are the best team in the AFC still to my mind we are still the team to beat we are still the team that most teams fear and that are trying to build their teams around to beat and yet we have the most leverage going into the draft you couldn't be in a better situation outside of losing Tyreek obviously but if you're going to be without Tyreek Hill this is the best position you can be in with all the leverage all the picks you want to do if you want to move and go find you know, a player in this league a proven commodity which is definitely something that can definitely happen during the draft um but I mean, doubting Brett Beach right now is just a silly thing. If he completely blows this offseason and blows this draft, and we get no uh, anybody, we don't get anybody of note in this draft, and there's guys that go before and after us that we could have gotten before or after the picks we we, uh, we you know we stay we we stuck with, then we got we can have a conversation about that. But until that point, I have nothing. To, especially after coming off this last season's draft, no reason in my mind to doubt um, his ability. And, and mind you, this is not just Brett Veach that we're talking about. This is him, Andy Reid are a marriage, right? This is a thing that they're they're together on these decisions in the draft. So Andy Reid analyzing talent, I I have full faith in as well, um, you know. And and someone being uh, you know, another part of that mind with Andy Reid is Brett Veach, a young mind that's still developing as a GM, still a young guy, one of the youngest GMs in the league. Still, um, you know, there's gonna be growing pains, but I think he proved last season. Last season was the one that was like, okay. He completely changed his offensive line in one offseason into one of the best in the league, and that's something you got to respect. That's something you got to understand, that this guy, is, this guy knows what he's doing. He's got great people around him to help make the best decisions. Um, and it all starts with the quarterback and coach, like I said. It all circles back to that. You have the nucleus there for success. It's just building the pieces and finding the guys around them to succeed. And since Brett Beach has been the GM here, We've been to two Super Bowl, almost three Super Bowl – well, almost four Super Bowl trips, if we're being honest. Uh, so, I mean, any other team, any other franchise, any other fan base would, be, would take that. Right. You know what I mean? You know, uh, any other team would sacrifice Tyreek Hill to have that resume as, a, as their GM – uh, in, that, in this position that we're in right now. So I, I think fear, I think it's an irrational fear right now for Chiefs fans. I think it's irrational to start uh, criticizing, you know, guys like McCall Harmon and, and their, their, their loyalty to this team when he's done nothing but be loyal to this team and, 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 and you know, like it or not, make comments about, you know, wanting the ball more. Yeah. I mean, how is that not something you want as a fan of a, of a player? He wants the ball more. He could be a guy that's just, you know, not giving you anything and just, you know, Taking his jersey off and throwing it out, you know, and walking off in the middle of the game—those things could be happening. But no, he's he's here. He's proven he wants to be here. This is his best best moment, this best season, best opportunity to shine. Um, so, listen, as far as as far as the fan base and the internal feuds that are going on, like you just gotta we gotta let this play out, man. You know, and I'm excited more than than fearful, honestly. Well, and, and I want to
1: say something about because I I think we've been very transparent on how much credit we give uh, John Dorsey for building the nucleus that started this whole thing, because he did. Yeah. He, yeah, he yeah. absolutely did. And it all starts with, I mean, it, the pinnacle of it all, rather, is Patrick Mahomes, that John Dorsey did take him. And he yep. did trade up for him and trade up 17 spots to get him in the 2017 draft. But I'm going to say this, and, th- and this isn't trying to give Brett Veach unnecessary credit, but we all know that he not only scouted Brett or uh, Patrick Mahomes and told John Dorsey and Andy Reid, this is the guy we need to get, right. But I would imagine, and I kind of wish the Chiefs would have done it this way, where I think they knew they were going to move on from John Dorsey. I wish they would have moved on from John Dorsey before the draft, because we both know that Brett Veach would take Patrick Mahomes in that draft. Yeah,
2: we were on board with him the whole
1: so, way. So either way, Patrick Mahomes was going to be a Chief. So although we can give... John Dorsey that credit, although we can say, look, it happened under his, you know, un- it was his regime
2: still. Yeah, it wasn't like Vickers like in the in the war room like fighting against. Him. Exactly, no, we, don't, we want this guy. Yeah, yeah it wasn't was like no, he yeah.
1: was, you know, pining for Deshaun Watson or anybody else. He was saying this is the guy, so he's yeah. the one that really ignited he's it. So we got to give him credit from the beginning. Right. So even if he was the GM at that time when the draft did take place, because he was the he was the the GM the next month. Mm-hmm. It would have it would have still been Patrick Mahomes. We have to clarify that part of it. And so that's where I want to give Brett Veach a lot of credit here is I think this man does know talent. The the inexcusable part of all this is going and getting Breland Speaks with your first pick. Yeah. Because of that, I think that a lot of the negative notions that are attached to Brett Veach's draftability is why we sit the way we do. And the other criticism and it is fair is the only other pass rushers he's gotten in the draft are mike dana a fifth round flyer who's been good he's a good rotational rotational. piece and then joshua kando with the fourth round pick who's been non-existent to this point again after the third round it's usually just a let's see what happens kind of guy and i don't know what Kane is going to do he's a big physical strong guy played for florida state so they usually produce good players out there but I'm not confident he's ever going to become something. And then they go and they trade multiple picks and swap picks for Frank Clark and then give him $116 million. And Frank Clark overall has not panned out outside of a series of three games in the playoffs. So that's the thing I'm looking at when it comes to Brett Veach is how he can reestablish the confidence. And and now breaking down all these things and seeing how these young players have already developed. I had somebody on Twitter yesterday saying, well, Brett Veach hasn't drafted any All-Pro players yet okay again this is only going to be his fifth draft right and the fact that 2021's draft class has three day one contributors and guys that are already one of some of the best players at their positions Mm -hmm. have all pro power and potential or talent and potential so, I don't think it's fair to sit here and say he hasn't drafted all pro players yet when the majority of these guys are still in their mid to early 20s or early to mid 20s right. becoming the players they are. Legere Sneak could definitely become one of those. Legere Sneak could definitely be that. Nick Bolton could be that. Creed Humphrey will be. Willie Gay has a chance. Creed Humphrey should have been last year. Yeah. I don't know how he was, he was an all pro last year. He was snubbed
2: for sure. Yeah, baffling. Yeah. Trey Smith has 100% the potential to be an all yeah. pro player. And honestly, that doesn't, that doesn't matter that much to me. I anyway, mean, I think the Pro Bowl and those selections have kind of been a. Uh, I mean, it's it's a cool thing of, to have a note and something to have on your personal resume as a player. But honestly, if these guys are working as a unit and they're performing, that, that's all that matters. to right. I me. Mean, I don't need a bunch of pro bowl players and, and, and all pro guys. That doesn't... And the Chiefs went and signed Austin Ryder mm. last offseason from the Rams. People are thinking, okay, this is the
1: starting center. This guy's really good. He's been awesome in the playoffs. We talked about it on the show. Yeah. Chiefs still go and get a center out of Oklahoma. That guy's the starter day one mm. and was the best center in football last year. So you can put the you no-all know, pros out there. The fact is that we had guys. Brett Veach had a mission last offseason to reconfigure that entire offensive line. And he made it an elite offensive line. Exactly. With trades, with, with, with free agent it's signings, I mean, with, with, with draft picks. I mean, yeah. look, up, look what he did. Yeah. Traded for Orlando Brown Jr., signs Joe Tooney in free agency, and then goes and gets himself Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey in one draft. And we're talking from the second round to the sixth round. So we, we got to give this man some credit here when it comes to the draft because we we all I think we all feel comfortable with Brett Veach if he if we were to hear Brett Veach just made a trade I think a lot of us are excited because his trades have usually been good.
2: He's a gunslinger. man.
1: Shaverius yeah. Ward trade, Orlando Brown Jr. trade. It goes down. The, we go down the list?
2: They have worked. Even Frank Clark's the trade worked because mm-hmm. the very next season we win the Super Bowl. every GM has their 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 sweet spots, their yes. strong their strong points, and their and their weak points. You know he hasn't been able to find you know good defensive ends and, and edge rushers in the draft yet. You know what I mean? That's just – that's been a, a thing he's whiffed on a couple of times. He tried to make that his big splash move his first draft. You know, Braylon Speaks was – he looked the part. Yeah. He was a good, productive player in college, and he just was a bust. Yeah. There's been – I mean, look at – would you rather be busting on de- defensive players uh, uh, and, and and certain receivers like Quana Powell so far would you rather be whiffing on that or still trying to find a quarterback and whiffing on quarterbacks year in, year out? Right. You know what I mean? So I think we're going to be okay. We're, I think we're just kind of in a spoiled mindset, if I'm being honest. we're <laughs> Like I said, we have the two biggest pieces in place. It's just finding the guys around. And I trust Brett Beach,
1: man. What I will say in this, though, because I have to stay consistent with my criticisms because yeah, I don't want to be the guy that just pretends like I'm not critical. Oh, of there's Brett no Beach. I am. right now.
2: There's, this is now or never, man, right now with all these picks.
1: What, what I don't seem to understand just yet is – this positive that came out of the Tyree Kill trade was, well, we got a bunch of picks, which is true. Hmm. But then it's, well, we also got all this cap space. They got around almost $20 million in cap yeah, space. Yeah. Okay. What's it doing for us? Yeah, where, where where are we going that's, with that? That's the
2: only question I have.
1: Yeah, because if we're gonna sit here and say that and use that as a positive, it's only a positive if they're using it immediately. Mm-hmm. Like I know that there's the idea that next season they're gonna go all in and the cap's gonna go up league wide and the Chiefs are gonna be big spenders. That's probably gonna be true.
2: Yeah, I mean it's Stephon Gilmore, but this that, team needs a lot of help yeah. right
1: now. I mean we have Melvin Ingram going to Miami, meeting with the Dolphins he goes out there and signs a one-year deal up to 3 to $5 million, I'm going to be very upset. And I'm probably getting more upset about that than I should be because yeah. Melvin Ingram isn't a massive difference maker. But with this team being as desperate as they are at pass rush and edge rush, yeah. Melvin Ingram is more valuable to this team than he would be to a lot of other teams. And if he so, signs
2: there, I mean, Mel- uh, 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 David Unclowney was re- is reported to sign back with the Browns. So, I mean, that's... The
1: pool's getting even yeah. more shallow. Yeah. It's more and more shallow as the days go on. And I, I'm just, I'm more more so confused because there are guys out there to be had. Now, the 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 twist I could put in all this is maybe it's something that Brett Meach is working towards for a trade, where he's keeping a that cap space trade. open, so where he goes and trades for, let's say, a guy like that I want d- desperately, and Josh Allen from Jacksonville. Yep. Let's say they make that trade, and then they extend him, and that's what that's where the money starts to go into is is getting because you're gonna have to sign your draft picks, obviously, mm-hmm. and that's gonna take up some of that cap space, but not enough because you're not first of all, Brett's not using all twelve picks. That is 100% not happening. Whether they use it to trade up in the first or trade up in the second, I do think one of those two things are gonna happen. I do think we're gonna see the Chiefs trade up in the first or second. More than likely I think in the second. Could be wrong, but I think they're gonna trade some picks for a current player, because they have to. Mm -hmm. They have to go and get a, a current edge rusher. I'd love to see Josh Allen, we'll see what happens. The relationships are all there, and we've talked about this multiple times on the show. I think that the 12 picks are giving the Chiefs an advantage they've never had before. Because now they have a lot of leverage. And the best part is, the majority of the teams that are early in the draft, I'm talking the first 10 picks, are horrible franchises. Which means they make bad decisions all the time. So the Chiefs can really finagle themselves. We like to use the hashtag FleeceFiveEach. We could see something like that. And I'm not opposed. And I want to set the record straight here. I'm not opposed to the Chiefs trading up at the top 15. In fact, I would welcome it. Absolutely. But I what I don't want to see is what a lot of people were suggesting. And I still think it's smoke screens because our guy Kyle Henning from the Kingdom Said podcast was on yeah. just last week and talked about how, you know, people are given source material to put it out there to bait others into trading up or, you know, trading with the Chiefs or trading ahead of the Chiefs and it was all smoke screens. But I do think there's validity to it. I do think that Chiefs want to move up that in the 13 to 15 range. What I don't want to see them do is trade a first round pick and a, maybe a third round pick to move up that way and then go get a wide receiver. Because I'm actually I'm in the minority here that doesn't believe that they need to go up and get a wide receiver early. Mm. Because here's the reason why. And I broke this down on Twitter the other day too, and this is I think this is just as real is as true as anything else that we've talked about on our show over the last couple of weeks when it comes to the, what they do with this draft so the current wide receivers in the league right now that were drafted in the second round or later since 2013 let me just give you the most notable names these are wide receiver ones elite talent wide receivers Devonte adams tyree kill cooper cup Stephon diggs tyler lockett debo samuel chris godwin aj brown michael thomas keenan allen dk metcalf terry mclaurin allen robinson deontay johnson curtis samuel those are the wide receiver ones Mm. how about some honorable mention guys guys that are solid wide receiver twos or at worst like great wide receiver threes juju smith schuster t higgins robert woods Mm. tyler boyd jarvis landry kenny galladay michael gallup chase claypool hunter renfro mccall hardman Michael Pittman Jr., Darnell Moody.
2: That's all second rounders.
1: The, second rounder later. Yeah. Some of these guys are like Tyreek Hill, fifth round pick. Yeah. Stephon Diggs, fifth round pick. Like uh, Hunter Renfro, fifth round pick. Some of these dudes are late round picks. Robert Woods, same thing. Like these guys go down the list, man. And this is why I'm saying, like, I understand that the, the Jamison Williams would be awesome to have. Yeah, Olave would be awesome to have, but they're not necessities. Because as I'm as I'm breaking this down, first of all, the Chiefs have an advantage that most teams don't have. You have a quarterback that is transcendent, which means he's going to elevate the games around uh, uh, the game of every player around him, every wide receiver he has. For he's sure. going to elevate those guys. Look, look at I mean, uh, Byron Pringle has got an eight million dollar contract. You really think he's getting that with a Ryan Fitzpatrick or a Ryan Tannehill? Or any other Ryan you can think of? No. He got that because he had numbers with Patrick Mahomes and got to shine bright in the postseason. Would
2: you be upset if we traded up to get a receiver?
1: Yes. because yeah. The biggest reason why is this. You can't sit back and let what you need the most hopefully fall back to you. If the Chiefs aren't out here being big spenders in free agency, that means they need to be big spenders in the draft. That means you need to trade up for something you need. Yeah, I'm not sitting here saying I'd rather that,
2: see us trade up to get a defensive line. Lin- oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah,
1: if you're not going to make a trade for like a Josh I'm Allen, the
2: best defensive lineman yeah, in the draft. Yeah, if
1: you're not making a trade for Josh Allen out of Jacksonville, if you're not going out and signing big guys like Ch- Chandler Jones, yeah, if you're not doing those things, you only have one other option. You got to trade up for a guy that you know in the draft is going to be a badass. Sure, there could be a guy that falls to you at 29 or 30 if you mm. keep one of those picks. But you can't bank on that. What you can bank on is what Brett Veach does all the time. He controls the team's destiny. He puts the destiny of the team's hand in his hands. And he doesn't wait around. So if he's gonna be an aggressive GM and he has a tendency to be aggressive, trading up every single draft literally since he's been in this uh, the the Chiefs GM. He's traded up in every draft within yeah. the three or three first round three pick, three rounds, then do it again. Yeah. And if you're gonna do it. Do not go for wide receiver because there's going to be some guy in the second or third round that you can get that you can turn into a stud. Will they be Jamison Williams? Maybe not, but you don't need Jamison Williams. We have Patrick Holmes. You know what you do need? Pass rush. Yeah. Because we don't have it. They were 29th in the league in sacks last season, and they're worse today than they were last year.
2: Right, and it's I, a that's why I think too, as a GM and as anybody like. Any fantasy players out there? You know, you go into your fantasy draft. You know, it's the, it's the same approach for me as why how I would approach it if I was a, a Brett Veach or a GM. You gotta you gotta draft opportunistically instead of idealistically. You know, what I mean, you can go into like a, a draft with an idea of how you want to do it. You know, if this guy certain guy falls, blah blah blah. But the the draft plays out the way it plays out. You know, say say why receivers just go quick. You gotta adjust if you wanted a receiver in the first round with one of those first two picks. If we don't trade up or trade back. You know, maybe you do trade back if the receivers are starting to fly off the shelves, and you know, and then you try to take the best defensive, you know, edge rusher that's available. You know, so you got to be, you got to take the opportunistic way of, you know, who's the best player available at certain situations of need. Uh, I'm not always for like best player available, period. Definitely best player available at the need that you have the most, especially in the first couple rounds. Yeah, uh, we needed the receiver, you know, during that Tyreek Hill situation. So we got McColl, which there's other guys on board. We could probably were a little bit better, but McColl has been a solid player for this yes. team. Um, and it's, and it's paying out well, you know, we got a Super Bowl out of that. Um, so, you know, that's what I'm, I, that's how I think Brett Beach would approach it. I think he, he's more of an opportunistic, opportunistic guy. He's not just falling in love with names, even though we have had a cycle of different receivers coming through here. And, and, you know, having some visits, all the big names pretty much have had visits with the chiefs. And I'm sure all those players would love to play with Patrick Mahomes. That'd be a great launching pad for their careers. Um, so I think, you know, if a lot of players had choices, they would be playing here, but uh, the draft plays out the way it plays out, and um, yeah, I, I, I'm on board with you. I think I think if we are going to trade up, it better be for an edge rusher. It better be for the one of the best guys, if not the best guy, in the drafted edge because um, we need that more than anything. Patrick Mahomes with, and I know we're not excited about this receiver core as it is right now. There's not a lot of sexiness to it, even though I do love Juju. I have a lot of love, and I think he's gonna. I think a lot of fans are gonna fall in love with Juju this year. Um, I think even if this this wide receiver core is as is, we don't draft a receiver till the late second or early third. I think we're fine with that. Yeah. I really do. I think with Travis Kelsey being who he is, an elite receiver, not, n- not just a tight end, an elite receiver. His numbers are up there with every, but the best wide receivers in this league.
1: Leagues all receiving yeah, players. More than Devontae Adams, who's got the biggest money. You know Since what I mean? 2016.
2: Yeah. So, I, I, I yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm cool with that. I, and, like, you just laid out the list of the last few drafts of all the great talent that's coming in the second, second and third rounds and later. I mean, that, you that take was, any of those guys what, right now. <laughs>
1: that was what? I mean, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, Man. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Like, 20-plus top-tier receivers in this league Yeah, came after the i I'm not sitting here saying you can't. Obviously, the first round, you can get tons of DeAndre Hopkins and, and, and great guys like that. But on the flip side... You know who else was a first-round pick? In fact, he was a top-five pick? Sammy Watkins, yeah. who's on his fifth team, and he's 28 years old.
2: Yeah, Andrew Riddle' uh, career. I mean, I love And Jamison
1: Williams yeah. is coming off an ACL tear.
2: If we're going to be real, I yeah. know that ACL tears no, yeah, you gotta, aren't as serious and that's severe as
1: they his... used to be, mm-hmm. but they are still something you have to take note, especially for a speedster. Right. A guy like Jamison Williams, who's known to be a guy that burns, so you just these are I'm not trying to like again, the Chiefs are to get Jameson Williams, I'm not gonna sit here and be pissed off. Yeah. But what I'm looking at is the bigger picture here. If we're well, not it's gonna we, be how we finish the draft. Yeah, if you are gonna take that. a conservative approach through free agency and and, 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 and trades then it makes no sense to take a wide receiver in this because it right. isn't the biggest need. Is wide receiver a need for this team? Yes. yes. They still need to go and get a guy who is a potential wide a receiver one future, yeah. because I think Juju is a is a top tier wide receiver too. Mm-hmm. I don't think Juju is a wide receiver one. I think he's right. a solid wide receiver too. And so therefore, I think it's I think it's the best bet that the Chiefs if they get, if they're going to be aggressive, which I do anticipate them to be in this draft, it's got to be on the defensive side because there are mo- far more holes on the defensive side than it is on the offensive side. There's no question about it. The Chiefs need help at right tackle. There's no question about that. I know they brought back Andrew Wiley, but I think Andrew Wiley is more of a rotational swing backup type of tackle. I don't think he's a guy that you build your right tackle position around. Well, he's got the trust of Patrick Mahomes. And too. I knew I know that Lucas Niang will be back eventually, but Lucas Nyang can't be, he can't stay healthy. He's had hip problems. Now he's got a serious knee issue. He has a patellar tendon uh, tore this last That's year. That's going to take a long time. I like that kid. Me yeah, me. I do too. And you guys know I'm Nyang gang here. I'm Niang yeah. gang. But... The Chiefs need to upgrade at right tackle, and I think they'll do that in the draft at some point. We're actually the week before the draft, we're going to give you guys, we're going to do a whole draft special. We're ho- we'll hopefully have some people on here that actually know what the fuck they're talking about when it comes to the draft. We're going to try to get Binkley on. I had, Bink, I talked to Bink yesterday. We're going to see if he has some availability because he's the dude. That he, I think he's already got three or four mock it's drafts busy out. man. Yeah, he's got some great draft pick stuff. Our guys, Kingdom Says podcast, know what they're talking about with Arrowhead Tom and those guys. Maybe we can snag one of them as well and see what they, you know, what they got going on. But that's where I stand on it. I think without question you got to get better at edge rush if you want this team to contend in this stacked afc as currently presented the team's got upgrades they need at defense a lot of positions cornerback safety even though they went sign justin reed i do think they can upgrade at safety because this is juan thornhill's yeah. last year under his contract as well and not i don't know if the Chiefs are going to sign him back or not so there's a lot of added depth but trevor you did mention a guy named Nicole hardman um uh, that i also want to defend real quick before we have our guy shaggy shane on just in a few minutes so I, I tell Trevor this all the time, and I promise you guys, I try to work at it. But I, I listen to way too much radio. I watch way too many sports shows. I, I have a, I have a problem. It's an obsession. I will admit it. Is uh, any day of the week I have I have a problem because I am obsessed with listening to other people's opinions. I love hearing other people's opinions on things that I care about, but I also love sharing my opinion because I'm an out, outspoken person and. We've had this show now for over three years, and I think that we have a a good thing going here where I can express my opinions while also hearing other people's opinions. Well, there's one opinion out there that I have absolutely despised. And I've had my issues with McCole Hardman and some of the things that he's done on the field and how he looks lost at times, and his route tree doesn't really hold hold high and hold true. But I heard people on uh, local radio this week talking about McCole Hardman's dedication or um, seriousness about getting better and getting more uh, in line with Patrick Mahomes' quarterback. There's been this narrative that's been out there that McCole Hardman doesn't practice with Patrick Mahomes in the offseason, therefore he must not take it very seriously. Well, I don't know if you guys know this. McCole Hardman now is currently the longest tenured wide receiver on the Chiefs team, and he's 24 years old. He's going into his fifth year with the Chiefs, his final year of his contract, and what do you know? We heard that uh, that that McCole Hardman was working out with Patrick Mahomes this last week because we heard everyone talking about, well, they got Juju out there and they got, you know, even Clyde Edwards-Layer out there and we got MVS and these other young wide receivers. Cornell Powell's been practicing with Patrick Mahomes. Why won't McCole do it? Why isn't he out there? Well, then we see the videos on Instagram and Twitter of McCole Hardman catching passes. In fact, not just McCole Hardman, Travis Kelsey was out there. And neither one of those guys need to be out there because they know the offense. They're familiarized with Patrick Mahomes. They have chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. They don't need to technically be out there on March and April practices. But McCole was. And I thought it was so damn hilarious that the people that are calling him out had that blow up in their face the same exact day they were doing that on their platforms. And so what I wanted to do was create a defense for McColl Hardman going into this next season because although I still believe McColl Hardman has a long way to go to become what we would call a great wide receiver two or ever a wide receiver one, I'm going to make some defenses for him as to why he's been an awesome player for the Chiefs over the last four years. So we all know that durability is a big thing in football. Yeah, The greatest ability is availability, as they like to say in, in sports, which is 100% true. Well, since McCool Hartman got drafted, there have been 49 regular season games played. McCool Hardman has played in all 49 games. The Chiefs have played in nine playoff games since 2019. McCool Hardman has been active in all nine playoff games. So that shows you... His body, he takes his body and durability very seriously despite being an undersized player at 5'10", 187 pounds. Since 2019, McCool Hardman has more all-purpose yards than Chris Godwin, Debo Samuel, Mike Evans, Deontay Johnson, DK Metcalf, Amari Cooper, DeAndre Hopkins, Terry McLaurin, AJ Brown, Mike Williams, Brandon Cooks, and Tyler Boyd. Since 2019, McCool Harden has more receiving touchdowns than Debo Samuel, Jarvis Landry, Cole Beasley, Julio Jones, and is tied with Michael Gallup, OBJ, Robert Woods, and DJ Moore. There were four wide receivers taken in the 2019 draft before McCole Hardman. Marquise Brown, Nikhil Harry, Debo Samuel, and A.J. Brown. McCole is third in receptions and first in all-purpose yards amongst those five receivers. McCole Hardman has 58 games played, 146 receptions, 3,627 all-purpose yards with 17 total touchdowns. That's behind Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins in 2019 and partial 2020. So at best, McColl has produced at this level as a third and fourth option. McColl is entering his final year of his rookie contract. Tyreek Hill is gone. Sammy Watkins has been gone. And despite how much he has produced so far, we still have folks caught up on not being, not him being at a March practice with Patrick Mahomes. McCool, this is my challenge to you, man. It's time for you to silence the critics because they're still out there. They're still doubting you. They still think that you have your limitations. You can't do what you've set out to do. It's time for you to silence them. Trevor, what are your thoughts on McCool Hartman? And now that you know these numbers... Where, where do you where do you balance your take on McCole Hardman right now?
2: I mean, when you take a step back and you look at all those numbers, it, it, it definitely looks like you know he's right up there with those guys. Like I don't think he's as good as a lot of those guys, but on, a, on, a, on a, like a weekly basis, basis I would say. But I think I think McCole's been a good contributor. And, and listen, having those numbers behind sharing the ball with Tyreek and Travis Kelsey throughout his career, that's impressive. You, he hasn't had the opportunities a lot of these guys have had, and he's still having better numbers. You know, from start to finish of their career so far, so you can't you can't take that away from him. Um, I think he, I think this is his biggest chance to make a name for himself uh, amongst his league. I mean, most people know who he is, just you know, being the vertical threat and the speedster that he has he had he is. But I think a lot of there's, there's possibly more to his game than we know. Um, this is the biggest opportunity he's had. He's going to have to to showcase that. Um, I've always been rocky with him, up and down with him a little bit. Um, kind of in the moment with him and, and what he is and what he can provide to this offense. I don't think he's ever going to be like a true number one guy, but I think he's good at what he – and I think last year was the was my most year I was impressed with him. Um, he really stepped it up, and it, I feel like even Andy Reid has said it towards the end of the year, you know, McCole, the last few uh, weeks of that season kind of really fell into place and in what he is yeah. and really found his place uh, uh, on a football team, um, especially with Patrick Mahomes. And I think he started to build that trust with Patrick Mahomes because there was a long time there where – him and Patrick Mahomes were just not on the same page. Whether it was his fault or Patrick's fault, there's the communication was just broken there a lot of times. Wrong routes, wrong throw. Uh, you know, bad bad judgment on Patrick Mahomes' part. You know, um, just a bad route ran by McColl. Those there was there's things that he needed to work out. You know, um, as far as routes ran and things like that. So I, I just think I think he has potential. I think this is this has got to be his biggest year. I mean, he's got the most opportunity to make something of it um, with the vacancy there of Tyreek Hill. Um listen man, I like McCall. I like him as a person. I like him um um in this offense. Um he, he fits this offense very well. He's very fast. He's good he's good at stretching the field, he's good with the ball in his hands, you know, as far as Yak goes. Um, he's a home run hitter. He always has been. Um, you know, but I wanna see him do some of the more of the, the easy things. Some more of the, you know, the non sexy things. We all know he's got that sexiness to his game. I wanna see him kinda do some of the, the you know, the non sexy stuff. Kinda how um you know Albert Wilson was, you know, just a tough, gritty, get you know, move the sticks kind of guy at times, but he also can break it open. Yeah, you know what I mean. Having guys like that is is vital for for Hall of Fame talent quarterbacks. They need those guys that are reliable. Um, you this is honestly, if he's on the same page with Patrick Mahomes, he's gonna have numbers. Yeah. And he, there's been a long, long time uh, duration of his career where he was on the same page as Patrick Mahomes. He's got better numbers than Debo and all these guys. You know, that's, that says something. Yeah. That also says something to the to the the the, the potency of this offense you know our third fourth option sometimes is having better numbers than a lot of people's number one option yeah that's saying something so I think you know I think this is his best opportunity moving forward and um you know I'm excited to see what McColl can do this year and I, really, I love really the am.
1: evolution of what McColl Hartman's career has been to this point um, because of the fact that, again, it's his fourth year, not his fifth year, I apologize, uh, his fourth year because he wasn't a first-round pick. Um, the evolution of what McColl's career has been to this point. So in the first season, he was basically just a deep shot, you know, go-get-it kind of guy because the, the Chiefs already had Tyreek, Travis Kelsey, and Sammy Watkins. Hmm. So the, the the first year was okay if he's deep and he can. I remember I was going to every Chiefs game at, at home. It, it was a deep shot every time where McColl really wasn't doing much. Maybe a jet sweep here and there. Yeah, which is why ironically his first season he had the most touchdowns in his in his career that year with six, but he also had uh, his career low in receptions and career low in yards. But his career uh, his uh, career high in yards per reception was the highest mm. at twenty one yards per catch. But in the year 2 his receptions went up 15 his yards went up but his uh his touchdowns went down 2 but his in his uh, average yards average went from 21 to 14 and then in year 3 he became more of a prolific player in this offense having 59 receptions for almost 700 yards only two touchdowns in his reception, his yards went down. So you think about that. You're not thinking that's a negative thing, right? You're like, well, you should, you should, it should be a negative thing that his yards are going down per reception. But that also means he's getting more targets and more opportunities to do things in space in the middle of the field. Right. He's not just becoming that one trick pony. To just, oh, deep shot, deep shot, jet sweep. No, yeah, he's starting to get into routes more because you saw Tyreek's numbers, his yards per average were going down too as yeah. he became more of a yeah, possession receiver last year. So now we, you got to think about it. We've never seen uncorked McColl. Mm -hmm. We've never seen it to where he's a prolific part of the offense. Could it be a bad thing? Could it end up blowing up in the Chiefs' face? Yeah.
2: I mean, he was drafted to be as such. But he was
1: drafted to be that. And I think in year four, we've seen other wide receivers throughout time, takes three, four, five years. And I don't mean to put McColl in the same category as some of these guys, Mm -hmm. but it took guys like Chris Carter and Michael Irvin and guys like that three to four years to really become that really become who they were. Terrell Owens, same thing. So that's kind of where I'm at on it with Cole Hardman. I understand that there is justification for some of the criticism, but I think that we need to give him an opportunity to shine in this offense this is the year. when it's finally him and an opportunity to be something that is of an, of absolute importance It doesn't have guys like Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins overcoming him. We are very, very excited. Because, and I just unplugged my headset there, so I'm not going to be able to hear anything for the for the time being. It's right there, Trevor, yeah. Um, so we we are very excited because we have a guy that I respect greatly. I, I, uh, I go to him for a lot of things. We talk damn near every single day about whatever, but it's a lot of times it's about football. Because this man knows what he's talking about, and he hit me up this week. He's like, listen, man, I need to get on the show. We need to talk. We have a lot of things to talk about, as we do every single time. But let's not waste any more of that time because he needs to rant, and I can't wait to hear what Shaggy has to say. Got some questions for him, but nevertheless, let's give it up for our guy, Shaggy Shaggy
0: Williams! Thank you for that introduction, brother. Lance, how you doing? How you doing, Trevor? How you guys What's
2: doing? What's going on, man?
1: We're doing great, brother. We're glad you're here.
0: Hey, Lance, you know, five years ago, You came over to the plush studios of Shaggy Shane entertainment for the very first time. And, uh, you and I both, you and I both were out on an Island and, uh, we demanded that chief's kingdom draft a quarterback in the first round. The rest is kingdom history, brother. And I'll never forget that because it's something that we celebrated five days later on April 27th, 2017 when the Kansas City Chiefs traded up 17 spots in the draft and took Patrick LeVon Mahomes the second. It was a beautiful moment. We celebrated as if we won the Super Bowl because we knew once he got on the field, it was going to be magic. The rest, is, as I said, is history. This draft coming up in 12 days is just as paramount as it was five years ago. With a plethora of draft picks, with the defense, let's be honest, guys. With the defense in limbo, and it's not it's not the good limbo. It's the limbo teetering on a uh, falling. Because last year, when the Chiefs traded for Melvin Ingram on November second, the Chiefs had just won Monday night game against a bad New York Giants team. It was an ugly win to make to to go to four and four. At the time, the Chiefs were. 30th in defense and in dead last in the AFC West. Melvin Ingram alone changed the landscape of the Chiefs' defense for the 2021 season, and was the spark that led the Chiefs to the AFC Championship game. True, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, they were still great, but if the Chiefs don't make that trade for Melvin Ingram, then um, I don't think we make. I don't think we're a playoff team last year. But we can delve into that, we can expand on that, and we will talk about the draft coming up, Lance. I'm honored to be on your show, brother.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're glad to have you, because this is the perfect time to have you on, because this offseason has been rather unique, Shane, and you and I have talked throughout it. Uh, we've we've given our opinions. Well, I know we both didn't like the Tyreek trade initially, and then we heard that There were other things, other factors involved that we didn't really know at at the beginning that Tyreek wanted to be closer to home. He wanted to get that record-breaking money, and the Chiefs understood and respected that and got him out of here. So now we look at the Chiefs and we say, okay, well, they got five draft picks out of him. He's a non-quarterback, so that's almost unforeseen, almost unprecedented to get that many draft picks out of a non-quarterback. But also, they got a ton of cap space in return. They got over around 18 to 20 million in cap space available. And that excited me because I knew there were possibilities, there were things that the Chiefs can go and do to spend that money. But they haven't done that to this point, which leads me to believe that. Because I can't believe the Chiefs are going to continue to be this conservative all the way into the draft. I know they got to sign their draft picks, but I have to think there's some sort of trade coming. We know last year that the Chiefs were going to do something. They traded for Orlando Brown Jr. They went and signed Joe Tooney, spent money. Well, there's a lot of money to be spent, and they haven't done it yet. So I have to believe that the Chiefs have something out there, a plan, something up their sleeve to get somebody that can contribute day one and make an absolute difference and be a difference maker. If you were to guess right now, Shane, how do you think the Chiefs are going to spend that cap money to make this offense or this defense or this team as a whole improve that much more?
0: Defense. It has to be defense. You know, the topic I talked about when I posted on the Spoken yesterday on Twitter and Facebook, and let's, let's be honest, guys. When Andy Reid took over the Kansas City Chiefs nine years ago, he had a great defense. Now, people might be saying, oh, come on, Shaggy. The Chiefs were 2-14, had the first overall draft in the 2013 draft. There wasn't any talent on the 2013 team. Ah. And Andy Reid took over a defense that was still playing at a high level. He had Tom Holly on the outside. He had Justin Houston on the other outside. He had Dontari Poe, which was the number one draft pick, going into his second season. He had Derek Johnson in the middle playing at a high level. He had the great Eric Berry at safety. He had Brandon Flowers at the other corner, and he picked up cornerback Sean Smith on the other side. That defense, that team, and let's not forget Jamal Charles was on offense as the running back. When Andy Reid took over that team, all that team needed was Andy Reid. Where the team is now, let's fast forward to nine years, because we can't get in a time machine. I wish we could. I wish we could go get in a time machine and go back to 2013 and bring that entire defense with Bob Sutton. Yes, even Bob Sutton at that for that year and play this year. But we can't do that. So now with the Chiefs, let's be honest. that This defense going into this draft is the worst it's ever looked under Andy Reid. It sucks to say it. John Dorsey tried to keep it going keep to add depth in 2014 he drafted d ford in the first round to add depth for Tom holly and justin houston that was nice d ford showed promise for a good three-year span but never quite developed in 2015 the number one draft pick was marcus peters that was good he showed massive promise but they couldn't sustain it for a plethora of reasons that we don't need to touch on right now So there were times in the last nine years where the Chiefs tried to add depth to this team to eventually take over for Tom Bahali, to eventually take over for Brandon Flowers and the rest of the cornerbacks. But now that the Chiefs sit here, now with nine, with so many draft picks in the first three rounds, it is paramount that the Chiefs rebuild the defense the same way Andy Reid had it when he took over in 2013. Now, I know it can't happen in one draft, regardless of how many draft picks you're going to get. The Chiefs aren't going to get a Tom Bahali, Justin Houston, Eric Berry, Derek Johnson, Marcus Peters. You're not going to get all these guys in this uh, year's draft, but it's a massive start. You've got a plethora of, a plethora of picks, which I will get to the guys I want to draft here in just a minute, but it is paramount that the Chiefs address the defense because it was only... Melvin Ingram that turned the Chiefs' defense around. I sat here with you guys on Halloween weekend, and it was dark. Tyron Matthew was trolling Chiefs fans on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we were 3-4, and four dead last. We had the 30th-ranked defense. We were dead last in the division. This defense needs some serious rebuilding, and I hope and pray some way that Brett Beach at least entertains the thought of bringing Melvin Ingram back because of the solid veteran leadership that he brought to the team last year and can bring to the team this upcoming season. It is paramount that we bring, in my opinion, Melvin Ingram back just to have that because D, because Frank Clark is going to serve some sort of suspension from last year, at least there's that talk, that he might be suspended for those gun charges that he uh, went through last June. So while we will contemplate what the Chiefs are going to do in the draft, like I said, I'll get to the players that I think that the Chiefs should draft early, There's still that concern with Frank Clark if he's going to be suspended or not. But this defense needs serious work. Yes, I love Nick Bolton. I love Willie Gay. I love Lord Jerry Sneed. Those guys are the foundation for this team. But for pass rush and the rest of the defensive line, and I didn't forget about Chris Jones, this defense needs help. And help that can be addressed in this year's draft.
1: Well, I'm definitely excited to find out who these players are. And I would have to believe that these are guys that are difference makers that Brett Veach is gonna be able to identify them. And the biggest reason why is what I started the show off with today about uh, a a defense based upon the metrics of what Brett Veach has done in the draft. I know that first impressions matter across the board in life, sports, everything. And his first pick as the Chiefs GM was Breland Speaks and that obviously was a terrible pick in hindsight. But we also know something about Brett Veach. Is that he was the guy that told John Dorsey and Andy Reid, hey, Patrick Mahomes is the guy you need to get. And I believe, and I told Trevor this just a few minutes ago, that I know that John Dorsey was the one that ultimately pulled the trigger. And we give him credit for that because he did. But not only was it because of Bre- uh, Brett Veach, know- the Chiefs knowing that Patrick is that guy, but I believe that if they would have fired John Dorsey a month before the draft, and Brett Veach steps in, the Chiefs are still one hundred percent drafting Patrick Mahomes. So the credit still lies in part and in a large part to Brett Veach and his homework and his recruiting and his and, and his talent assessments. So Knowing what he's done, knowing that there are eight current starters on this team that Brett Veach has drafted, along with the guys like Joe Tooney that he brought in as a free agent, trading for Orlando Brown Jr., trading for Frank Clark, going against Tyron Matthew in free agency, who's now no longer with the team, but was a huge contributor over the last three years. I think it's time that we give Brett Veach, although we might critique and criticize, criticize some of the decisions he has made in the past. I think he is showing us a trajectory with his talent evaluation across the board in the draft free agency and in trades this man knows what he's doing and he's going to identify the right pieces to get them in place and help them start and be one day good contributors for the Chiefs moving forward
0: exactly Brett Beach was the man behind it you know you know and Pat Mahomes Sr. has told us you know numerous times that we've seen him off camera Brett Beach was the man going down there Brett Beach was the man uh, going down to Tech for two years him and Matt Nagy both were both were jamming film into Andy Reid's uh, office, making sure that he peeped it out. So definitely, you give Brett Beach massive credit. Even if he did take over before the 2017 draft, yes, the Chiefs would have done whatever possible to get Patrick Mahomes. That was without question. And where, you know, he has missed, and I think that I think missing on Breland speaks. I won't say that it it. Scarred Brett Beach, but it did show some hesitancy from what he did the next season when he just said, I'm not going to try to get an outside linebacker or a defensive end or an edge rusher. I'm just going to trade my picks for Frank Clark. It worked. We, we got a Super Bowl. But where the Chiefs have missed in drafting edge rushers, where they missed at drafting Greenland Speaks in the second round, that hurt us for now. And the year before, in the second round, the Chiefs' John Dorsey – or Yes, John Dorsey, his last draft as the Chief. In the second round, he took Tano Pastino, a developmental defensive end. And he could have drafted Alvin Kamara or Juju Smith-Schuster, but he Mm -hmm. took Tano Pastino, where the Chiefs missed in the second round at drafting defensive end. And you can even critique or debate with uh, Justin Kane, though, last year's fourth-round draft pick. Are these developmental pass rushers ever going to develop does, Bre- does Brett Veach trust himself to think, okay, I can trust Spags into doing something with Tano Pass, Ah, he's gone. Okay, uh, Speaks is going into his second year. He's with Spagnola as the defensive coordinator. Can he do something? No. Uh, Justin Kando, he was thrown out on the field week one when you and I and Clay Winler from Red Tribe Cinema were at the home opener, the very first game of the season. And he was on a play where Nick Chubb just ran 22 yards uh, right by him for a touchdown. And I, I looked at Clay, who was sitting to my right, and I said, Justin though just got right out of the way. And Clay Windler turned to me and he said, yep, bad gap discipline. Well, bad gap discipline is going to show when you're a fourth-round draft pick and you're starting week one as a rookie. So the Chiefs need, the Chiefs need to hit – the Chiefs hurt at missing on – the second round edge rusher and tono Pass, you know, Breland speaks the jury's still out on, uh, Joshua Kane, though, fourth round draft pick out of Florida state last year, but seeing the trend from tono and Breland speaks, I don't really trust it. And I don't know if Brett beach trusts it either. And I hope, and I, like I said, I'll mention these gentlemen that I feel the Chiefs should go after to address the defensive issues. Uh, that's just how I feel, but I th- I trust Brett Beach to make the necessary. Even though he's missed on edge rushers in the draft, I'm not critical of it. But it's just something that I feel needs to be discussed, and I'm sure Brett Beach understands critiquing and discussing his drafting of edge rushers as well. Well,
1: I'm on pins and needles here. I, I got to hear these names, Shane. Who do you think need? Who do you think the Chiefs need to come and, and bring him in and? Be the guys to, to help us, because I'm, I'm waiting, man. I'm, I'm over here
0: biting my fingernails. Okay, here's the deal. Everybody wants to trade this, that, and the other for draft picks. Everybody Or tr- trade up uh, for wide receivers. Let's stay home. Let's stay at 29 and 30 with the two first-round picks, and let's stay with the two second-round picks. You can revamp your defense with the 29th pick. I got the Chiefs taking Boye Maffe defensive end out of Minnesota. The kid's freaking raw. He's not. He's not raw. He's definitely an upgrade over Tano Passio and Brandon Speaks. He's got a good motor. He can get after it. With the second pick, follow me here. Of the first round, the Chiefs should take outside linebacker Nicobe Dean out of Georgia. The kid is a freaking winner. He's hungry. He's got a strong motor. You may say outside linebacker. We got. We already have. Uh, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, you get N'Kobe Dean with the second pick of the first round, you can re-sign Melvin Ingram. N'Kobe Dean can freaking take the place of Anthony Hitchens, and you will have a freaking monster defense that I would, a monster middle linebacker set that I would put with on potential on paper to put with the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Al Shermond Singleton, Shelton Quirles, and the Hall of Famer himself, Derek brooks i love the dean out of georgia and boy i mafe with the first round go look up those two gentlemen and in the second round you get your cornerback Jalen armor out of alabama the kid's got a good size he's a stud corner and with the second one get another corner get martin martin emerson out of mississippi state For the kids another corner you could get your you could get a great defense bring back melvin ingram two solid cornerbacks it's just the first Two rounds alone. You can address wide receiver in the third round and fourth because you got those picks. You can make it happen. I hope and pray that the Chiefs' defense or the Chiefs go that way to address their defense because we need those picks to play and stay. We were blessed. Think about it, guys. We were blessed that we had Justin Houston just for eight solid seasons. We were blessed to have Tom Bahali – for 16 seasons, we were blessed to have Derek Johnson play for 17 seasons. These guys played for us for such a long time, and they were, they played at a level to where we didn't draft for their replacements per se early. I know it's I know it'd be a dream scenario to have anybody come in and play at such a high level like Tomahale, Derek Johnson, Justin Houston, but the defense, where it stands in 2022 needs to be addressed and if you address it with those four players on defense stay where you're at you can get your wide receivers later you can make it happen with rebuilding the defense there's nothing wrong with rebuilding the defense it's bare the shelves are bare on the defense guys we love Patrick Mahomes we love the highlight and I understand everybody wants Jamison Williams I understand people want George Pickens at wide receiver those guys are great but we got to remember has Patrick Mahomes uh, – has he dropped off with the plays of all the safeties playing back? There's still some concern. Is Patrick Mahomes the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now? Yes. But there's still some concern of, well, if they drop all the safeties back, uh, has Patrick Mahomes uh, figured out how to beat that scheme? I I think he's going to use us offseason off to uh, get better at that. But we need defense. Patch Mahomes, Matt Nagy is back, so Patch Mahomes will get better. Not not to say that he really fell off, but we got to be honest about the AFC championship game. But let's rebuild the defense, and we'll go on from there.
1: I like it. I like I like it Shane. I think that that makes a lot a ton of sense. I do know who those players are and they would be awesome awesome players to add to this defense and I think that uh you and I share a very similar mentality of how we believe the Chiefs utilize this draft this draft because if you look at Not just the draft last year, but also in free agency and trades. Brett Veach went and overcorrected on the offensive line. And we talked about this. I said this back on my Twitter account last year that the Chiefs need to give Patrick Mahomes as close to that 2003 offensive line as possible. When they had Willie Shields and Willie Rofe and Casey Wigman and all those guys. And they did it. That's about as close as you can make it. So on the flip side, you bring up the 2013 defense, which I think finished 7th in overall defense that year. They had prolific stars across the board in all three levels that's how you do it. That's how you make the best team. I know that there is this obsession to go and trade up and get a Jamison Williams or a L- an Olave or somebody like that at the wide receiver position, but that's just an obsession and a fascination. That's not, to me, reality. The best way to get this team back into the Super Bowl is to give Patrick Mahomes a defense he can rely on and trust in, that he doesn't feel that pressure, that he has to take those big, huge, ridiculous shots every single time, because that was one of the biggest reasons they struggled in the first two months of the season last season as he didn't have that trust in the defense they figured it out as the season went on but we don't need to see that happen again they don't need to do that because unfortunately they won't have the luxury of having an AFC that wasn't as great as it should be this next upcoming season which is what I want to segue into uh, when it comes to the remaining portions of the AFC outside of Kansas City I am I am obsessed with talking about this because I think that although the AFC has gotten significantly stronger and it is without question the better conference at this point, I do think that there is a little bit of hyperbolic overreaction to some of these acquisitions that these teams in the AFC West and in the AFC as a whole have made. In particular, the the Bills going and spending $53 million guaranteed on a 33-year-old Von Miller. Uh, the, the Chargers going and spending, are getting all $64 million guaranteed dollars left in Khalil Mack's contract. A 32-year-old pass rusher who's had foot surgery, they're bringing him in. I think there's some moves, even with Russell Wilson, who we all know is a great quarterback, has been great, but is 34 years old. He is undersized. He had massive surgery on his throwing finger. Uh, He's been sacked over 500 times his career. I think that there's a little more context than what people are willing to put out there when it comes to some of these aging veterans that these AFC contenders, or people think that are contenders, are putting on their roster and just assuming that they're going to jump the Chiefs now because of these acquisitions. What do you think of the AFC landscape as a whole right now, and in particular, some of these AFC WEFs moves? Do you think that they have closed the gap on the Chiefs, or do you think they've leapfrogged the
0: Chiefs already? They've definitely closed the gap. we got to respect it. Until they come to San Diego, the Raiders or the Broncos and and San Diego, ha-ha, L.A. Chargers Chargers and collapse, the Broncos and collapse, and the Raiders and collapse, you got to give it to them because on paper that's what we're going by now. Um, The Chiefs, when you win the division six years in a row and you go to the playoffs seven years in a row, there's going to be some, okay, what can we have to do? Are they desperate measures? Yes, but they needed to do it. I, I hope that the Chiefs have done enough. They've The Chiefs have done enough on offense to definitely hold back Khalil Mack. The Chiefs have done enough. I mean, I'm wearing a Creed Humphrey jersey right now just because Brett Beach killed the draft last year. The Chiefs need to kill the draft this year on defense to stop the Raiders' new offense. Yes, they still got Derek Carr, who's adequate at best, but... They still have weapons. I, Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos is the biggest concern because he's good. As he fell off, was he injured last year? My daughter's in Seattle, so she's been telling me there's been some injury problems with him. The fans are unhappy to lose him, but they felt like it was the right time to trade him. So they feel that he might be getting just past his prime. We'll have to see because when I saw Seattle play and when I saw Russell Wilson play, still at a high level, but I'm not in Seattle and I don't watch all their games. I know you have stats to go by, but we will have to see. I I think that Denver is tired of losing to us. They lost 13 times in a row to us, so they went, they went deep and got their quarterback. So I definitely am concerned. Do I think they leapfrogged us? No, because until they do, I'm not going to say they have. So the Chiefs are the team to beat. We're the big guy on campus. I think Vegas even has us at – uh, the still top five or six to go to the Super Bowl. Is that what it is, Lance? Do you know the specifics? I think the Chiefs right now have the third best odds. Okay, yeah. So still, they're okay. still in the mix because of Patrick Mahomes, because of Andy Reid. But I definitely respect, <laughs> you have to, what the rest of the AFC has done to compete with the Kansas City Chiefs.
1: Well, and then you look at the other two teams. I know, I know we addressed the, the Broncos with Russell Wilson. My biggest issue with the Broncos, just for the record here, is I, I do believe that Russell Wilson makes them a better team just be, by being there. He's he's a, he's a top-ten quarterback still. He's still got plenty of opportunity to be great. I think he's, he's not an old quarterback, but when you factor in his size and how many times he's been sacked and coming off his first real injury of his career and it happens to be on his throwing hand, I think that does – deserve some uh attention also with the broncos you know everyone talks about all these weapons they have Uh, maybe i'm the only one but i don't see anybody outside of javante williams who by the way was a rookie last season that is a proven commodity sure Cortland sutton tim patrick uh jerry judy they're talented young players but they haven't done anything to this point of their careers that makes me think they're proven that oh my god you gotta watch out for these guys I have to see it to believe it. And that goes across the board in the AFC West. Because when it comes to the Raiders, they just signed this big lucrative deal with the Derek Carr situation. They gave him basically $40 million a year. They can get out of it each and every year. But they did give him over $120 million for a guy who's never won a playoff game, played in one, and he threw an interception to end the game. Devontae Williams, is Devontae Adams, I'm sorry, $28 million a year for a 30-year-old wide receiver. I can't imagine that that's gonna bode well when he's going from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr. I don't think his production is gonna match. They're spending a lot of money on guys that we don't know for sure are franchise cornerstones. And when it comes to the Chargers, maybe I'm tripping here, But I thought for like the last five, six years, the Chargers were penciled into when the AFC West, when the AFC Championship, get to the Super Bowl. And every single year, they fall short. And two of those years have been with Justin Herbert, a guy that people think is an elite quarterback already, yet they're 15 and 17 with him, have not made the playoffs yet, and they have Brandon Staley as their head coach. And if you look at the AFC West right now, in my opinion... The Chiefs have the three best head coaches in the division with Andy Reid, Matt Nagy, and Eric Bienamy. Because sure. Brandon Staley is unproven. Josh McDaniels is 11 and 17 and drafted Tim Tebow in the first round, his first tenure, and left the Colts on red. And then we have Nathaniel Hackett in Denver that has never even called plays as an offensive coordinator and had Aaron Rodgers, which makes you look a lot better. Ask Mike McCarthy. So the AFC West has gotten better. The AFC has gotten better. But to me, there are so many missing key pieces to these teams that I'm not going to sit here and just pencil these in, these teams in to leapfrog the Chiefs, make the playoffs, make big runs, because they got to show it to me, because these guys have a lot more to overcome than I think the Chiefs do. So when it comes to the Chargers, when it comes to the Raiders, what are you seeing right now? Do you think these guys are legitimate threats
0: to the AFC West and the AFC as a whole? Chargers more than the Raiders. Uh, first off, when they predict the Chargers to win the division every single year for the last 20 years, it's because NFL Network is right across the street from their new stadium. So they're always going to be like, hey, let's go to work and predict the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl. Let's do it. <laughs> But Brandon Staley, if he doesn't go for it on fourth down nearly every dang time last year, he probably wins that, uh, that final game against the Raiders and uh, they go to the playoffs. Justin Herbert, you have to respect him. He has the, he still has weapons. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are studs. They still got that stud safety and Darwin James, I do believe is his name. So they're going to be definitely in the mix. So I think you have to be careful of the uh, hype they do get. But, damn it, I respect Justin Herbert.
1: Yeah. Sure. Well, got a couple more questions here for you, Shane. We're going to let you out, man, because we do appreciate your time big time. Um, when it comes to – I don't know if you read the, the article yet uh, from Sam McDowell from The Star when it came to Tyron Matthew and his, his conversation with him and breaking down everything from Tyron Matthew's childhood – until so right now, as he's still currently sitting as a free agent in the NFL, which is something I did not foresee. I thought he was going to be here in Kansas City for at least a couple more years. We obviously saw that the Chiefs wanted to move on, signed Justin Reed. And then Tyron Matthew comes out and says that he more than likely would have signed that contract that the Chiefs gave Justin Reed, which is essentially three years, $30 million. I don't believe that. I don't believe that Tyron Matthews is a liar, but I think revisionist history and trying to make himself feel and look better, I think he's saying that to make it look like, oh, he would have played for you know pennies on the dollar. I don't believe that. I think Tyron Matthew wanted big money, didn't get it, and now is sitting here looking at the market, which is essentially dried up. There's been, I think, 10 safeties signed this offseason, and he's not one of them. If you could just... Give us a a synopsis of, or just a a, a diatribe rather, of what you took from the Tyron Matthew era. What do you think, what future holds, what the future holds for Tyron Matthew moving forward. And just your overall thoughts on Tyron Matthew as
0: a person and as a player. Tyron Matthew had to come to a team uh, that was ready to go to the Super Bowl. And you know what? Tyron Matthew helped get it done. That was the perfect replacement, short-term replacement for Eric Berry. Eric Berry was the heart and soul of this defense, played at a high level until his body fell apart in 2017. So Tyron Matthew had big shoes to fill, and he came here and he filled it in that brief two-, three-year window. He came here. He was a perfect piece. Spagnola needed a safety to take over for Eric Berry. Perfect replacement. And along with Frank Clark, that defense, they caught lightning in a bottle. It took them mid-October 2019 to get it together. They got it together. Tyron Matthew brought us a Super Bowl championship, and I will forever be grateful for that. This, I mean, the last four years, I mean, I know you want me to talk Tyron, but the last four years of Chiefs football, which includes Tyron, we should all be grateful for what Tyron Matthew has done. Anybody who's not grateful for what not only the Chiefs have done the last four years or Tyron Matthew then you're just glutton for punishment. You're just a not happy person. So everything Tyron Matthew has done the last three years with the Chiefs and the Chiefs four years in the last four years has been great. But it's time to move on. And I think Brett Veach, I'm hoping and praying, I, is going to wants to revamp this defense with these draft picks. And I think Tyron Matthew should be applauded for what he's brought to the team. But it's time to move on, and I'm. it's time to rebuild the defense. But thank you, Tyron Matthew, for what you've done through with the Kansas City Chiefs for three seasons. Definitely needed it.
1: Well, final question here for you, and I know this is a guy that you are a big fan of, and he just signed with his fifth team. Uh, Mr. Sammy Watkins signed a one-year deal with the Green Bay Packers, a team that is very desperate to get some wide receiver help. We're hoping for the best for Sammy. We're hoping the best for the Packers to get that little union between him and Aaron Rodgers going. That would be a fun conversation to have. Could you imagine Aaron Rodgers and Sammy Watkins having a life conversation? That would be interesting. But <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on Sammy Watkins signing with the Green Bay Packers.
0: Gosh, I'm not the only one that says this. If he stays healthy, he'll, he'll click. He's a good dude, you know, like that one time I met him and got my picture taken with him. He said he wanted to stay to Kansas City. He said his kids love Kansas City. It seems like everybody says that, don't they? Um, but it didn't work out. He's got to stay healthy. We knew last year when he was going to Baltimore that he wasn't going to get the stats in the games that he played with Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson does not throw. He does not that. He's not the passing quarterback that Patrick Mahomes is, and – Tyreek Kill's not going to get the same stats that he get. he's got from Tua tongue of Aloha to because Tyreek Kill doesn't have Patrick Mahomes now. Specifically to Sammy Watkins, if in capital letters quotations he stays healthy, he will be productive. He was productive with the Chiefs. Sammy Watkins was productive with the Chiefs before 2019 in a two-year span in 2018. I mean before 2020 in 2018 and 2019 those postseasons. There was no, the, he was the most prolific wide receiver in Kansas City Chiefs postseason history before we went back to the playoffs in 2020 and went to the Super Bowl against Tampa. But he showed, hey, in January, if I'm healthy and you're a good quarterback, I'm going to get the ball going into uh, the postseason. So he was definitely, man, I wish him the best of luck. Definitely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, Shaggy, let the people know where they can find your show, where they can find you, and how to communicate with you, man.
0: Well, first, I got I got a couple questions for you both. Cause Go ahead. you guys, I watch you guys weekly, and I listen to the rest of the wife at least as much as I can. I got a question that I feel Chiefs off-season workouts start Monday at Arrowhead Stadium. So the Chiefs are going to be back in the news. They're going to be back in the talk. We're going to see reports. We're going to see the media talk to – chiefs as they come to work out we're not specifically who's going to show up and who isn't but we hope the players show up we and a like i said it's it, the last five years four years have been great but if you go back five years the kansas city chiefs in and andy Reid's era have lost two home playoff games where they were up 21 to 3 one with alex smith and one with patrick mahomes I know we're trying to forget about it, but I hope that Patrick Mahomes is interviewed this week. The local media just takes the time just to ask him one question. Patrick, now that you've seen what happened at the AFC championship game, what had now that you've been away from the game for a couple months, what have you learned about the second half of the AFC championship game? And if I could ask you both, and I'll start with you, Trevor what confidence do you have not just because of his greatness before the AFC Championship game what confidence do you have in Andy Reid, Matt Nagy to work with what happened specifically to Patrick Mahomes in the second half what, how confident are you going into this uh, season and what he can overcome
2: uh, I mean for me personally I have all the confidence in the world uh, I think Matt Nagy was a good addition to bring him back a familiar voice, a guy that Patrick is confident in. Um, my confidence relies within Patrick Mahomes, though. Um, I think we started to see the evolution of him, kind of really in his game a little bit. Um, but it did come back to bite him because he wasn't there completely yet. And um, you know, with that with that game against Cincy, it was unforgivable. That's an unforgivable moment in Patrick Mahomes' career, and that's gonna that's gonna linger with us until he heals that. Um and we've talked about this on the show before and this is my this was my number one biggest concern of this offseason was Patrick Mahomes' mental state and how he re, re you know, rebounds and, and responds to that. Not only the criticism of what you know he was taking, you know, whether it's jokes at the ESPYs or, or all the national talking heads that are talking about Patrick Mahomes has fallen off and this might be the beginning of the end for Patrick Mahomes and blah, blah, blah. I don't believe that. I think he's the truth. I think he's the best quarterback town in this league. But he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to go out there and show that. He's gonna have to go out there and remind some people, you know, because we have very short attention spans. We like to let guys, you know, be the best in the league and then immediately be the worst in the league, you know, within a a nightly basis. Sometimes, very overreactionary. I I don't think he's that way though. I think Patrick Mahomes is an amnesia type of guy that goes out there and. He's going to go out there and do what he does regardless of what anybody thinks or says. And I think that's what's so attractive to him from Andy Reid's standpoint is he has a guy that's going to go out there and sling that rock and is going to try to make the best play every single play. Um, And I'm expecting Patrick Mahomes to be Patrick Mahomes this season. Um, And I, I do, I fully expect... You know, there there is a scenario where this could definitely affect Patrick Mahomes and this could linger for the, the remainder of this season, who knows how long, but I don't think that's the I don't think that's the reality of the situation. I think Patrick Mahomes is one of those guys that's gonna go out there and just be great every single time. He's gonna have his moments, he's gonna have his stumbles, like we saw. But I, I'm fully on board with the idea that Patrick Mahomes is gonna go out there. This and Nagy being back is it a, a, a good like I said, a familiar voice for him to kind of comfort him uh, not that he needs to be coddled. He needs to be critical of himself, and people need to be critical of him in, in, in moments that he's let us down. and He's let himself down. Um, but I fully expect this this Chiefs team, maybe not this season, to be you know what we expect them to be moving forward. But this could be a a, a pivotal season, obviously with all the picks and the, the new faces that are going to possibly be here, um, and faces familiar faces that are not here anymore. Um, this is a big pivotal movement move in 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 um, Patrick Mahomes' career. Uh, to see what he can do, you know that's kind of this been the storyline. Uh, you know, without Tyreek being here, oh, is Patrick Mahomes going to be exposed? Blah blah blah. I, I'm not on that. I'm not in that boat at all. Um, we know Patrick Mahomes is, and I fully expect Patrick Mahomes to go out there and be himself. And that's the best quarterback in the NFL.
1: Last the last week of February uh, for episode 156, we had Patrick's father, Pat Mahomes Sr. on our show, and. This is something that we talked about very specifically. And I remember Pat said something to me that I felt that I already knew, but I I needed to hear it. And and hearing it from his father really gave me a lot of peace, a lot of solace, and quite frankly, a lot of confidence in what we're going to see moving forward from Patrick Mahomes after such an abrupt and, quite frankly, devastatingly frustrating collapse in the AFC Championship. He said that Patrick that when it comes to Patrick and his competitiveness and what matters to him, losses hurt him more and drive him and motivate him more than than wins feel good and drive him and motivate him. Which means that the obsession of not losing Is more important to Patrick than than actually going out and winning now winning is his most important goal because obviously if you ain't losing you're winning But the feeling he got and experienced in that 2018 AFC Championship loss the feeling he had in the 2020 Super Bowl loss The feeling that he had in that 2021 AFC Championship loss is what's going to drive Patrick to be greater than what we've even seen to this point now statistically it's going to be very consistent because I think Patrick's one of those guys that's going to throw between 4,500 to 5,000 yards a season, 35 to 50 touchdowns a season. Those are just going to be a given because he's just that great. And Andy Reid knows how to write up and draw up great plays. Matt Nagy coming back, EB still being in the equation. Those are going to be offenses that are going to still have big numbers. But I'm talking about things like that not happening again. Because the greatest of the greats have had collapses like that. We've seen Tom Brady have four or five collapses very similar to that. He had a losing record to Peyton Manning in the AFC Championships they faced, which was, by the way, four times, and he went one and three against them. So even with the expectations we have and the comparisons we make, I don't think we've even seen the best version of Patrick. I know that's easy for me to say, but I'm not even talking in a statistical sense. I'm talking about in a mental sense because I think this type of loss, although it's never acceptable, it's nothing that we ever want to relish and, 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 and think about and dwindle on. It's something that Patrick Mahomes will. It's something he's going to think about. It's something he's going to obsess over. Because you think it hurts us? Imagine how it makes him feel knowing that he was one of the catalysts for it occurring. So trust me when I say, and I feel very confident in saying it, we're going to see a better Patrick Mahomes because of that game specifically. Because we saw that guy at the tail end of last season, and in the playoffs last season before that second half, playing at an historic level. Before that second half, Patrick Mahomes had more touchdowns in that playoff run than Tom Brady has ever had in any playoff run of his career. That's historic. And that guy's going to build upon that loss, that collapse. Because he's the type of guy that doesn't accept defeat. He uses it he uses it as fuel and motivation. So to answer your question as, as soundly and as efficiently as I can, Shane, I think you're going to see a very open and honest Patrick Mahomes and his opening pressers in practice. He's going to own up to everything that took place because he knows he's the leader. And as time goes on, as specific as it is now with Tyreek Hill and Tyron Matthew and other guys that even predate Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, he knows this is becoming more and more his team as the older he gets, which means more onus and responsibilities on his shoulders, and he's the kind of guy that can carry that load.
0: Amen. I'm glad you answered that question. And the reason why I specifically asked you about that question is after every playoff loss, it's what we do, going back to 1990. I'm not going to go back to 1990 and every playoff loss, but just specifically of late, when the Chiefs lost to the Super Bowl, we thought we knew the problem. Oh, man, problem that game is our offensive line. Creed Humphrey. The rest of the second round draft pick, uh, Nick Bolden, the Chiefs as a whole, the entire organization addressed why they lost that playoff loss. In 2018, when we lost, why do we lose? D. Ford, Bob Sutton, they addressed it. So, and I don't need to go back for other playoff losses. You see why and how they were addressed. And when we look at last uh, the playoff loss two months ago, we know how it happened. I wanted to get your feelings on it. I, I love what you guys had to say, and I want to thank you for it. And I will be back here on the Shaggy Shane Kansas City Chiefs show two weeks from today, breaking down the 2022 draft. You can find me on Twitter. I don't tweet much, I just tweet now and then. But you can find me at Twitter at Shaggy Shane KC. You can find me on YouTube. Just search Shaggy Shane Chiefs. I want to thank you guys for having me on your show. It's been a blast. and uh, But here's you want to know my last thing I'm going to say, Lance and Trevor? This is the most important thing because I Dude. feel it in my gut. Everything I just said I hope happens with the guys we pick. I predict. I predict sometime between next Thursday and Monday before the draft. Brett Veach will trade his first and second round draft pick for either D.K. Metcalf or Debo Samuel. Do I want it to happen? No. But it is in Brett Veach's DNA. It's who he is. So when you wake up next Thursday, sometime between next Thursday and Monday, and see the Chiefs have traded a first and second round draft pick for either Debo Samuel for DK Metcalf, remember where you heard it. Do I? Like I said again, do I want it to happen? No. Like I said here last year on Halloween weekend and said, you know, the Chiefs could trade Tyreek Hill, and it happened. I got bombarded with private messages saying, you were right on the spoken. I heard you on the spoken saying the Chiefs could trade Tyreek Hill in the offseason, and it happened. I had to reply, I didn't want it to happen. I just said it could happen. My prediction? I don't have a source. You know, I don't have a source. It's just in Brett Beach's DNA because last year on Friday, Brett Beach went to the press conference and did a big press conference saying, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We got a lot of draft capital. We can do this after that press conference with the media. One hour later, the chiefs traded for the left tackle. They needed Orlando Brown. I predict the chiefs will trade for Debo Samuel for DK Metcalf. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, but I think it will. And with that, I'm 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 out of here, guys. I love you. <laughs> You're dropping the mic. <laughs>
1: Thanks, brother. Yeah. We, we love guys, you, Shane. Love you too, man.
0: Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Lance. Yes, sir.
1: No problem, man. Thank you so much for being a man. He he dropped the mic on that one. That was uh <laughs> And make sure we unmute that. Yeah, that, that was uh, – man, that was awesome. That was – I like the fact that he ended it with that because now we can kind of jump into that a little bit and uh, discuss that. Are we unmuted, on the, by the way? Yeah, it should be. Is it unmuted? Mm-hmm. Okay, or muted. I'm sorry. Muted, right? Yeah. Okay, we're good. All right, awesome. So, uh, man, I – I love the fact he gave us something to, to kind of chew on after the segment because I actually – that was something I was thinking about a little bit. Uh, remember we, we talked about some of the wide receivers we'd like to see the Chiefs trade for. I mean, D.J. Jason I'm Dunn. Jason Dunn was saying Tyler Lockett, a guy like that. More than likely Washington, or Seattle keeps Tyler Lockett because he's just such a great person and player, as our guy J.D. was uh, alluding to. But – I'm going to say some things about Shaggy's take on that. I actually think that is realistic. Yeah. And I don't know specifically if it's going to be with DK or Debo, even though both guys could very well be traded. Some big names. The two problems I have have with both those guys is I don't, first of all, think DK is an elite receiver, Mm -mm. or I don't think he'll ever be. I think he'll always just be a real freak specimen. Good productive receiver. That's what he's going to be at a guy that gets around eleven hundred yards and nine to ten touchdowns a season. Good. That's very good. That's yeah. very very good. But you can get that from Juju Smith-Schuster. He's good okay? at what he does. And, and so that's yeah. There's, uh, if the Chiefs were to trade for DK, they're going to have to pay him around twenty five to twenty six million a year. Mm. And there's no way in hell I'm doing that if they're not willing to pay Tyreek thirty. Right. And then you also bear in the fact that Debo Samuel. Although a lethal weapon in this league money. is going to be 27 this next season. Do the Chiefs want to give a long-term deal to him? Because him and his guy on Instagram are talking about it's 25-plus or nothing. Yeah. Like, I think Debo's going to want the bag as well. He's
2: be the most deadliest weapon in and, the NFL. But man.
1: that's the thing is I think a bad team is going to be going after guys like that. I think you're going to see yeah. Debo go, go on a team like the Jets, a team who was, de- was desperate for a receiver, was trying to go after uh, 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 Pat, Pat Tyreek Hill as well. Hmm. Didn't get him. I could see a, a Debo Sandler, DK Metcalf going to the Jets. Yeah. The Jets giants some a team like that a bad team that's willing to pay them the money they're looking for i think with those two guys that could happen but shane could be very, very well be right because although he says he doesn't want to see it happen he also didn't want tyreek to get traded he saw that coming as well or at least felt it yeah. so I do think, though, on the flip side of that, to add to Shane's point, I do think the Chiefs are going to trade for a wide receiver. Mm. I do think that you're going to see a guy like a Terry McLaurin. I do think that they're going to try for a guy like Tyler Lockett. I do think you're going to see them go after guys like that. Maybe DJ LaVisca. Moore. Yeah, I would love that, but LaVisca yeah. Chenault, you know, Somebody like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Chiefs are going to try to trade for because then that would justify them not trading up for a wide receiver. They can go and extend a guy who's a proven commodity in this league who's still in his mid-20s. I think that's going to be a realistic scenario. I do think the Chiefs trade up in the draft draft I, I don't agree with, with Shane on, on them sitting back. I do I do like the scenario he painted with going and getting multiple uh, defensive players. I love that. Those are aggressive but I do moves. Think, I do think with the 12 picks, that the Chiefs are going to use some of those picks to go and move up and get a defensive player. I, my ideal move, obviously, is going getting Josh Allen. But that really comes down to what the Jaguars want. Right. Do they really want to go and give, up, give him up? That's the question. They still have another year of control, and then they can franchise tag him if they wanted to. Yeah. But I do think that the Chiefs are going to get a veteran receiver that they don't have right now i do think that there's gonna be some sort of trade i do agree with shane i just don't know if it's gonna be one of those two guys because i think the price tag on those guys is just gonna be
2: ridiculous yeah and you're not looking for a one-year rental anymore we got you know you got juju on that kind of deal we got a proven deal for mccall here you know and then we got M E S for a couple years at least so we do need to solidify another skill player um and I think I think Laviska would be a good addition. I think he's probably the cheapest option, probably too, of the free agency as far as a, guys that I would like to see in a Chiefs uniform. Uh, but Debo would be—I mean, he's going to want money, so that's the, that's a that's a pipe dream for me because yeah. Debo would be like in this offense. Debo would be—you think he's good in the San Fran offense? This offense, it would be unreal to see a guy like that. Now that would be the ultimate Tyreek replacement. But granted, if we were going to trade Tyreek and not be, for money issues, maybe a couple other issues on top of that, I'm not going to pay another guy you know Tyreek money when we could have just kept Tyreek here it didn't make much sense but yeah there's there's options man that's an aggressive move and Veach is uh, an aggressive kind of guy so I would not be surprised if something like that happened.
1: Well, I uh, I definitely appreciate our guy Shaggy, and I hope you guys follow him. He's got an amazing following already, but if you have not subscribed to his YouTube channel, if you guys have not followed him on Twitter, please do so. Mm. He's about as transparent, thorough, and as honest and, quite frankly, knowledgeable as any Chiefs fan is yeah, out there. The
2: ultimate representation he, of Chiefs Kingdom. 100% for, agree, for yes.
1: Sure. Uh, I do want to transition to something else before we get to uh, handing out some L's in the world of sports. So I don't know if you guys saw a little over an hour ago, we did post our round one of the NBA playoff predictions, which, by the way the way the playoffs are going right now as we speak on this uh, particular podcast Um, so Eddie uh, had his list Trevor you got yours and I got mine Um, Eddie had the Suns beating the Pelicans in five games he had the Jazz beating the Mavericks in seven Uh, the Nuggets over the Warriors in six the Grizzlies and the Grizzlies over the T-Wolves in seven then on the Eastern Conference side of things has the Heat beating the Hawks in five the Sixers beating the Raptors in six. The Bucks beating the Bulls in seven. Whew, and then the Celtics beating the Nets in five. Trevor, go ahead and give us your picks, and then I want to give you mine, and then we can do a, a brief discussion on what we see in this first round. Taking so this. are we
2: just doing the West, or are you just going all the way no, through? No,
1: West. Yeah, East okay, East.
2: so yeah, I had the Suns. I, think, I, I like this Pelicans team, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I think since the CJ McCollum addition, I think they are a good team and a very potent offense at times. Um, I just don't think they're going to be good enough. The the defense and the overall experience that the Suns have gained these past couple seasons and then obviously being the champs, uh, Book is on another level this year. I I didn't expect him to just take that and just run with it. He's been incredible this year. Um, And Chris Paul hasn't been the best. Uh, He's been in and out with health issues, which is known with him. But... This sun seems just too good. I had them winning in five, um, and then the, I have the Mavericks beating the Jazz. I like this Mavericks team. I know Luka's missing Game One. That sucks. They're probably going to lose that one. But this 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 Mavericks team since, especially since the Porzingis trade, um, they've they found a new groove. And yeah. with that Dinwiddie signing, I loved that signing. He's been incredible. He's hit two game winners like within the first couple of weeks of him playing there. Uh, so that chemistry with him and Luka has been great. I have I have the Mavericks winning that series, and the Jazz always find ways to fail. Always, whether it's the first or second round, they always find ways to, f- to fail. Um, whether it's coaching or it's just a collapse in the leadership of the players, whatever it is, they always find ways to lose. Um, so I got I got the Mavericks winning that that series in, in seven. Uh, should be a hard fought series. Uh, Warriors. I had the Warriors beating the Nuggets. I know that's an upset right now, but a lot of this, especially in the first round, experience is huge in the first round. Um, this is this is a tough match. This is this could be like a Western Conference Finals right here. Sometimes uh, you would think, but this less well, is so stacked. But I think I think Steph. Lights it up in this series, I think Clay comes alive in moments and big moments. Um, Draymond's finally starting to play some healthy basketball. Wiggins can be that contru- contributor that they, they need. Um, I had them winning in in, uh, uh, in seven games as well in that series, uh, and I have Grizzlies over Timberwolves. I just think the Grizzlies are by far the better team. I think Jaw's a a, a true elite talent in this league, uh, so I had them winning in five or six. I had the Heat beating the Hawks. The Heat are just the better team. Um, I had them winning in six. 76ers over Raptors. That's going to be a fun series to watch, but I think I just think the, the Sixers are just too good. I think they're going to win in five. Mm. Um, and then the Bucks. I like this Bulls team; they're entertaining. But the Bucks is just the experience, the the Giannis being who he is, the defense of the Bucs team. That's uh, giving to too much for them. But I am giving the Bulls two wins. So I have them winning and uh, six and six in that series. The Bucks in that series. Uh, and then I have the Nets beating the Celtics. I know a lot of people think this Celtics team, but the Celtics are another one of those teams. That finds ways to lose. Jason Tatum, I love him to death. He's one of the best talents in this league, but he finds ways to to choke. He finds ways to to disappear at times um, and be extremely inefficient in the playoffs at times. Um, this could be the time where he takes that next step. But I think this, I think the K, I think this the addition of KD and um, uh, just Kyrie. I think he's been playing out of his mind lately. I think he's really. This is a really big series to him. I think they're just. I think they're going to be too much of them. But I have it going seven games. Uh, and I like this series a lot. This is gonna be a fun one to watch.
1: Our picks are pretty much split in half with this one, man. I think this is a this is gonna be one of the more fun first rounds that we've had in a long time because I feel that there's about Loaded. there's about five teams I think you'll legitimately win the finals this year. And yeah. that's never been the case. I, it's always a, a LeBron team versus a couple other teams at yeah. best. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of parity in this one, but I'm I'm I feel very good about my picks. I'm I'm taking the Suns over the Pelicans, and I have the Suns sweeping the Pelicans mm. because I just don't think that the Pelicans have enough star power. To hang tough with the Suns, Chris Paul is going to be back with his hand. I think he's he's getting back or he has been back. Yeah, and he's going to be back in the swing book. He's been playing like a top five player. They're such league. a good
2: team. And
1: they're, they're so the in rotation depth. of guys. Bonnie's got that team just rolling. It's like they didn't miss a step from last. year. I didn't year. expect
2: them to be this good. Honestly, yeah.
1: I, I just think the Pelicans are going to be outclassed. I don't even think they get a game in this one. I think the Suns because the Suns are also a great road team. I think that they're going to. Ha- I think they're just going to beat the Pelicans senselessly in this series. It's going to yeah. be an outclassing the Mavericks. I am taking over the Jazz in seven. And the reason I'm having it as seven is because I. Doncic will miss the first game. Yeah. I do agree with you. They will lose the first game, but it's not like Doncic is
2: going to come back and just be a hundred percent. And they got Brunson and Dinwiddie who are two capable yeah, guys. But this, can, this, but this
1: series is gonna be depending on Doncic's health. Yeah. Because if Doncic is healthy or healthy enough, they are going to win this series. But a calf stream, man, that can last for months. And, and, and can it aggravates. Yeah, that just yeah. really sucks. I I don't know. And I'm I'm still gonna give them the advantage because I do believe they're the better team and I do think they squeak out the victory in this series. Um when it comes to the Warriors Nuggets series, before I mean, a couple months ago, it had been foregone conclusion to pick the Warriors. I'm not. I'm picking the Nuggets because I think they have the, the healthier star superstar player in the yeah. series. A uh, 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 Jokic is is playing at MVP mind. level. Probably he could very well win MVP. Yeah. And uh, the the Warriors, although on paper are the better team, in my opinion, the Clay Thompson is still is, is coming into form. Draymond Green's a one sided player, and Steph Curry is very injured, and we don't even know if he's going to play game one. They're God, saying he's.
2: consideration. Mm.
1: I'm taking the Nuggets in six games. The Grizzlies are the team that I think could very well get to the finals. Mm. And I think the T-Wolves are a team that although are fun and you got your Pat Bev's out here jumping around taking a shirt off you know for a plan victory. Um, I, I think the Grizzlies are going to outclass the T-Wolves in this one. I do think that Cat is going to have one big game where he even drops up to like 45-50 points and squeaks out a big home victory and they just get you know feeling really good about themselves. But I have the Grizzlies winning this series in five. Yeah. I just think that gonna, they're going to outmatch the, the T-Wolves. I just don't Think the Teebles are going to be able to hang tough. And then on the eastern side, I, I think the Heat are going to make quick work of the Hawks, especially after that game last night. Um, uh, Trey Young is going to do his thing. Yeah. They lost Clint Capella. Yeah. Clint Capella had that knee injury last night.
2: He's that glue guy. And I
1: don't know if they're going to be able to even win a single game without Clint Capella's defense and his rim protection his and rebounding and things of that nature, alley-oops. Yep. I, I think the, the Heat are just a significantly better team, and they're going to sweep the Hawks. And then in the 76ers series, I was actually uh, tempted to pick the Raptors in this one. And the reason why is because of the fact what I've been preaching all along. They're a good team. I, I don't, And, and more yeah. so, I don't believe in James Harden. I never have. I think in the playoffs he he sinks. He gets desperate. He gets even more, inefi- more inefficient than he was. Joel Embiid. I feel so bad for him because he deserves better than this. But the moment I saw the trade go down with the Sixers getting Harden, I almost lol because I'm like, I just don't think it's going to help them. And, and Joel, Joel Embiid's got the the a before. tough
2: matchup with, with Siakam, man. Exactly. That's a tough matchup. But I
1: am going to give the, the Sixers this series. I think that they have the better star talent. They have, you want to talk about experience? Yeah, yeah. But Doc Rivers, I know yeah. Nick Nurse has gotten his. So I want to give him respect. But Doc's been doing this for 25 years, yeah. and he was a former player. And he's failed
2: a lot, though, too. He has,
1: no doubt. And if this series gets to a place where they're up 3-1, mm-hmm. I'd get worried as crazy as that sounds because <laughs> Doc knows how to choke away a series. Yeah. I think this one's going to be like a 1-1, 2-2, 3-3 type of series, and the Sixers pull it out because they have the home court advantage, and I think they win it in seven games. Yeah. The Bucks. Are my championship favorites? I think they I think they're gonna repeat. I think that Giannis is the best player in the world. He's kinda
2: been coasting this year.
1: Yes, Drew Holiday is getting back healthy. They got themselves their depth for the most part back. I think they're going to sweep the Bulls, and I agree with you, Trevor. The Bulls are fun. I gave them two this games. This team is on the rise. I love Demar Derozan's fast story. Pace. Yeah, I, I, I just think the Bucks are just going to outclass them, just like I talked about the Grizzlies and the, and the Timberwolves. I think it's going to be fun, things of that nature. But I just think the Bulls are going to outclass. They started off so hot this season. Two sweeps in this. I have two sweeps. In this, in I have two sweeps. Yes, I do. Wow. Actually, I have three. I have the Suns over the Pelicans oh, wow. in four. The Heat over the Hawks in four, and the Bucks and uh, over Bulls in four. In the first round, you do see sweeps. That does happen. Yeah, I mean, um, this is
2: such a stacked. Competitive matchups here. Man. This is
1: where you and I completely disagree. Yeah, I I, I don't think the Nets are going to win this series. Mm. In fact, I think that the Celtics win it in six. And mm. the reason why is this: is that although yes, without question, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving are the two best players in this series. I think the Celtics should win.
2: Just to throw the, that, out. I think they should win.
1: Having said that, after you're, you're talking about after KD and after Kyrie, who've only played what ten games as a whole this season together. Yeah. Outside of that, they have zero depth zero. I know Seth Curry is a solid is supposed player. supposed to be
2: back game 2 or 3. Maybe, yes, yeah. but
1: not having Joe Harris there all season, yeah. not having losing Dinwiddie those guys last year on something. I just don't feel like this team has enough depth and here's another thing. Coaching's got to matter at one at some point. Yeah. And I don't believe in Steve Nash at all. I do not. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. The, the the Not to rip from our guy Nick Wright or not, but he's 100% right about this. Most times, you see the uptick in minutes for the star players in the playoffs because obviously it's the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving have been playing over 40 minutes a night. And Kevin Durant doesn't have any durability. He's always hurt. Yeah. Kyrie Irving is always hurt. And you can't rely on him. So... The, the Celtics to me who by the way since All-Star break have the best record in basketball yep. I think they're going to carry that into the playoffs and I'm actually I'm on the side that you theorize, Trevor that maybe this is the year that Jason Tatum comes into his into his game in the Very playoffs well could be. I think this is it I hope because it is. the Nets are
2: terrible
1: defensively I want to see KD man <laughs> I think Jason Tatum is going to average yeah. over 30 in this series and I think he and I think Jalen uh, Brown are going to get that, that that monkey off their back bro where they finally win a big playoff series big they haven't for, done it to this, this point this is
2: big for coach too man
1: this is big for yes exactly. I. I think this is Knock a great opportunity one. for the Celtics to do it. I think they win this series in six. Those are our first round picks and predictions. Let's see how they go, and then we'll get into the second round, and then the conference finals, and obviously in the finals, as that come about? Want to throw those out there real it's quick? Be fun. I actually, I lied to Trevor. I said we only had one more thing to get to before. Hold the cell. Our guy Stan Simmons actually dropped us okay. a little note on ink Anch- on the Anchor app, which by the way, we recommend that you guys do that as well. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We would very much appreciate that. But uh, our guy Stan Simmons did leave a voice message on our anchor app, and I'm going to play that now.
2: Well, Lance, the Clippers lost. Um, I'm a frustrated Clipper fan. Uh, I've been a Clippers fan since 2007. Uh, you know, I've been a California resident. Uh, Kansas City will always be in my heart, it's in my blood. The Clippers are my adopted team since I've been living here in California. been my adopted team since 2007. Uh, I tried to listen to the other teams, uh,
0: Lakers, Warriors, uh,
2: Kings, but I just like the Clippers' mentality of being the underdog, always being that team that, that just isn't good enough. So watch them lose again tonight. What do they need to do to finally win? Trevor, Lance, help me out here, guys. What do the Clippers need to do to finally win?
1: Well, <laughs> I'm glad you asked that, Stan, because I know I know uh, you didn't know, you didn't really like my thoughts and opinions on uh, the Clippers being an abject failure. Because I understand, you know, having superstar talent, having superstar ability, you should have high expectations, which everybody did when it came to the Clippers. The moment Kawhi Leonard and Paul George teamed up and went to the Clippers, everyone just assumed this would be a team that would contend for titles. And the best they've done was gotten to the Western Conference Finals, and they couldn't get that done. And now we're looking at a team that did not have Kawhi Leonard at all, all season long. Won't be in the playoffs because they're not even going to be in the playoffs, but wouldn't have been there anyway. Paul George, who the biggest game of the year, ends up in protocols, COVID protocols, I believe it was, The the, the best way that I can describe it, because I'm not an NBA GM, and obviously I can't sit here and just construct a great team and show you how to do it and map it all out, and this is the perfect way of doing it. But the best way of doing it is capitalizing on the market you're in. Because in the NBA of all sports, market matters. And I think that if you utilize that and lean into the LA area a little bit more, also I think there needs to be a little bit of a separation because when you share the same building, that, that that creates a little bit of an awkwardness, especially when you're sharing the building with an historic franchise like the Lakers. I know that Ballmer is, Steve Ballmer, the owner of the, the Clippers, is going to be moving them to an, another facility soon. I think that's going to help them dramatically because it's going to get them out of the shadow of the Lakers. And, and yes, that shadow will still hit them a little bit because it's still in the L.A. area. But I do think having your own entity, your own facility, is going to be so paramount for the Clippers getting back, or at least getting to, at some point, to to real prominence and success when it comes to playoff success. Um, and, and I think that one of the biggest mistakes the Clippers made of late was hitching their wagon to a guy like Kawhi Leonard. And expecting him to be your franchise changer because even with the Raptors, I know people always talk about well, Lance he won a title with the with the Raptors as the man. That's true, but that team went 17 and five that season without him. That was a really, really, really good team without him. Now he did put them over the edge because he was healthy enough throughout the playoffs to get them over the edge. But also, let's 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 bear in mind here some context as well when it came to those to that finals matchup with the Warriors, Kevin Durant tore his Achilles in in game one, and then in Klay Thompson later on in that series, blew his knee out. So they lost two of their three best players in that series. That's the reason why the Raptors won that series. And they were a really good team. Kawhi was really good in the playoffs. He was absolutely just just killing it, right? But they won that series because of the fact the Warriors lost Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. So at his apex, Kawhi Leonard as the man lucked out in a way that we've never seen another superstar player get so moving to the clippers i thought was a terrible idea for the clippers to to hitch the wagon to Kawhi leonard and to paul george because neither one of these guys have proven to me that they can be the guy at the biggest moments against the greatest competition and it's been proven to be true so stan i love you to death bro you know i do and i love the support you give us but unfortunately until the clippers get out of the facility that they're in get out of the shadow of the lakers I don't think that's going to happen. They need to lean into their market more, and they need to go out there and swing big for another big-time guy. I I, I don't know who that's going to be because I don't know who's going to be available at the time that they do that, but that's what they need to do, and I think that's the best way of doing it. And to segue into that, we have one more order to business to get to. Trevor, what's it called? Hold, Hold This, this L. L. Each and every week, we finish off each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports, whether they're friendly or not friendly L's in the world of sports. We promise you, who is ever holding the L's this week for us, they deserve those L's. Trevor Twidwell, who's holding the L for you this week?
2: All right, so I'm just gonna re- start going right into this article and read this article. Um, it starts off with this. Usually, when you're a professional baseball team and your opponent has the bases loaded in the fourth inning of a game, you want to do whatever it takes to not give up a run. <laughs> well, that is unless you're Joe Madden and the Los Angeles Angels, because if you're them, apparent you apparently just let the other team score a run. In fact, you make you make them. You make sure they score a run by doing one of the strangest uh, things a team could do in that situation. Intentionally walking a hitter with the bases loaded. That's what they did on Friday night when they, they opted to intentionally walk Texas Rangers shortstop Corey Seager with the bases loaded in the bottom of the fourth inning. For real. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys saw that. This is, this is one of the things about baseball I just don't like, man. You have that. They, you have that ability to kind of just opt out on certain situations and avoid players. That's okay sometimes in certain situations, I guess. Um, but with the bases loaded and you're you're willingly giving up runs, and obviously they went on to lose that game as well. So it did nothing to help uh, that game moving forward. The, the the Rangers just went on to win that game pretty easily. Um, it's just a, for me that's just a cowardly type of mentality to have. That's a losing mentality to have. I think. Honestly, I think there should be some rules against that, where you should you should have you should be forced to pitch to whoever's at the at the plate. I think that's just one of those things that needs to kind of go in baseball. I really do. I think just intentionally walking and you know uh, uh, just avoiding a person, I feel it's just cowardly in nature. I think the nature of it is cowardly. I really do. Um, so I, I just don't understand. I know the, the baseball season just getting started. We already got uh, articles shitting on the on on certain teams. This is a bad look. Um, and the Angels aren't a bad team either. You know, they got a lot of talented guys. They could have very well won that game if they figured out a way to get out of that situation. I know the bases were loaded. That's the worst situation you can be in. You got Seeger at the plate. bases loaded. That's a tough thing to be in. But I think just intentionally walking and giving up points is just a stupid thing to me. No matter what sport it is. Giving up points for free is just a dumb thing. Um, so, yeah, for that. MLB it, rules and, and, and regulations the way things are in the game still uh, and specifically to the Los Angeles Angels for pretty much just handing a team a win I know it's a long season but just doing that is just a dumb thing to me uh, it still never makes sense to me it doesn't compute in my mind so for that do me a solid and hold, hold this L. L
1: um I'm glad you brought that one up Trevor because that was that was I, pff, look I, I, baseball has become the overthinking man's game that's that's what I quantify it as. But another guy that thinks himself a little too highly than what he really was is a guy that I like to call Jason Biggs on stilts. Uh, Mr. Ennis Cantor, or who likes call himself Ennis Freedom now, or whatever his name Jesus. is, uh, said that uh, he came out yesterday. NBA Central, the NBA Central on Twitter, uh, actually had this article that was released, and I had myself quite a laugh. Uh, one of his quotes was saying, I was a starter, and they come and tell me after a year that I forgot how to play basketball, they are trying to retire me at 28." So he's basically, his cantor or his Freedom now, is trying to say that there is a blackballing of sorts with, with him in the NBA because of the things he's spoken out on when it came to the China situation, when it came to LeBron James and how Ennis Caner is basically trying to become Ennis Bayless uh, in his attempt to try to tear down LeBron James' legacy. Um, he's basically trying to say that the NBA is trying to get rid of him and because he was a starter. So what I did as a responsible uh, person that likes sports is I, I go up and look up the facts. And when it comes to the whole starting portion of things, I went and looked it up, and what do you know? Over the last four years, Ennis Cantor has started less than 50 games. Um, In fact, last season, he only played in 35 games total and had one start. 35 starts the season before that, 7 starts the season before that one, and 8 starts before that one. Then in 2018, 2019, he had 23 starts. In 2018, I'm sorry, 2017 and 2018, had 31. 2016 and 2017 had zero, and in 2015 and 2016 had one. So I'm not really sure I understand the whole calling himself a starter thing when the guy was basically a spot starter for guys that got injured. But also the fact that last season or this season rather, and his cancer averaged four points a game. And we had a career low in rebounds per game, career low obviously in points per game. Maybe it's just the fact that after five different teams that have taken you on, Ennis, and with all the controversy attached to you, maybe you're just not good enough. Maybe that's just the facts. Okay. Instead of you know trying to project all your uh, you know problems on everybody else. Maybe try to maybe take a little responsibility for yourself because you kind of put yourself in this position because in all actuality, all actuality, and all honesty, I do think he's good enough to be on a roster somewhere. But you have to remember that when you bring on the attention that you do and you become a circus or a sideshow and you're not a great prolific player that any team would be willing to take on, these are the kind of consequences you will face. Colin Kaepernick was not good enough to deal with the circus he had around him. Whether you agree with him politically or not, the fact is Colin Kaepernick wasn't a top 10 quarterback and that's why he's not in the league. Because I guarantee you if Patrick Mahomes or one of these other guys took the stances that Colin did, they'd still be playing football. You know why? Because they're elite talents. Look what Aaron Rodgers has done over the last couple of years. You know why Aaron Rodgers is still one of the premier quarterbacks in the league on a premier team? Because he's great. And guys like Ennis Freedom don't seem to grasp that. They have this self-entitled mentality where they think they can say and do whatever they want and there's going to be no repercussions for that. Well, you're not good enough, Ennis. And I know that you've been on the jock of LeBron for the longest time and you think that's going to give you some credibility, some credits, and some clout, but all it's got you is unemployed. So do me a solid, Mr. Ennis Cantor, or like they call you Jason Biggs on stilts. Do me a solid, brother, and
2: hold, hold this up.
1: L. You know, I was gonna give it to the Clippers, but I'm not gonna do that to my guy Stan.
2: <sighs> yeah.
1: I feel like we've already touched on it. I feel like we already gave the proper attention to that situation. But enjoy that L regardless, Mr. Clippers. I appreciate the you know, the the the, the annual flame out, if yeah, you will. I think,
2: I think Pat Bev was <laughs> giving it to him good enough. That had to hurt, man.
1: Well, this is a fun show, man. And we got we got really in depth with a lot of Chiefs stuff, guys. And it's not going to change. And it's only going to get heavier because, as our guy Shane said in his segment, we're about to have a lot more news coming out because the Chiefs' workouts are starting up. Man, it's just it, football 24 7, 365, man. I'm telling you, we get yeah. football all year round, which is why our podcast continues to go every single week because we always have something to talk about. And you guys know the majority of what we talk about here is football related. Yeah. So uh, it's it's been a great show. We had an absolute blast. We wish our guy, Mr. Yo 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 Eddie Ortiz, was here. But we held it down, man. I feel like we did a really good job and it was a lot of fun if you didn't like it well go find another damn podcast but in the meantime for trevor woodwell for the great clay winder that puts all this together for shaggy shane williams I hope that you guys, by the way, are, are following up and subscribing to our YouTube channel. Get us to those numbers. Help us get us to, to those numbers, man, so we can start monetizing this stuff. Like Trevor said last week, we'd love to get uh, more opportunities, more availabilities to do things that we want to do as a show. We put in over 160 episodes. We're really trying to get to the place we feel that we need to get to. We have some goals to reach, and we can only do it with the help of you guys, and we appreciate everyone that's already tagged along with us this to this point. But like I said, for Trevor Twoodwell, for Clay Windler, for the great Shaggy Shane Williams, I am Lance Twiddle. of the podcast episode 163 is done is done finished infinito and so we're here next week for 164 we out of this bitch later hey, my-